The podcast under the stairs. Void diary entry number nine. Extract from recording to the Baz regarding finding a way home. It's just proven almost impossible now to try and work out exactly how I'm going to get back. Um, I'm, I'm met with constant resistance. Whenever I ask a question, I'm, it's not like I'm getting a satisfactory answer. They're, they're kind of padding me off with promises for things that, you know, when I fulfil my end of the bargain, you know, they never come through with it's It's frustrating to say the least. I'm going to still use the, the, the web diary link that I sent you um, and we need to try and be a bit more proactive, I think. We need to try and come up with some sort of strategy to try and get me home. Duncan McLeish, signing off. You're listening to Druid FM on 192BC. Welcome to the podcast Under the Stairs. Hi everyone and welcome to the podcast Under the Stairs. I'm your host Duncan McLeish and this is another special Baz V Horror. Um, This one is continuing our look at the Friday the 13th retrospective, looking through the entire movies, um, the full collection of that franchise. For those that are keeping score at the moment, um, we have already done on one show the very first movie. On the second show, we covered parts two, three, and four. And on this show, we will be tackling parts five, six, seven, and eight. So um, that that end that end line is, is getting so close, I can almost taste it. So um, with that in mind, it is with great pleasure and great pride that I introduce my very special guest on this show. He is the man that makes all this shit possible. His uh, his work on this show has allowed me to pay the bills and keep the lights on is of course the man, the myth, the legend, the Baz. Hola sexy, why won't you die bitches? (laughs) How are we my friend? (laughs) Why won't you die bitches? Could this be in reference to to, to a a certain franchise that just won't die, Bass, will it? It, it just, just won't, won't die. die. It just, I figure by the time we've actually finished the, even the ones after this episode, there'll be a new one that'll need to watch anyway, do you know what I mean? Well, it's, um, next year, I believe, is the... Is, they were talking about having one out for November, but I don't think it will actually happen. I think it's next year. Um, the, the, the new reboot, repackaged, recalibration, re-fucking... Oh, whatever... Uh, repeat of uh, Friday, Friday the 13th is going to make its appearance back in cinemas which is a fair few years since the, the, the kind of remake came out and I mean it did it did quite well the first weekend it came out and then no money at all after that and then no one even went near that franchise after that so it's, it'll be quite interesting uh, when that does eventually come out and you're caught up today I think me and you will take a small cinema trip and uh, we'll see. We'll catch a Jason movie on the big screen because oh, nothing sure quite, will. nothing quite like seeing the, the big man on the big screen. So uh, yeah. So how are you doing? I'm doing all right, my friend. I'm doing all right. You, um, yeah. Dog tired after watching all these films. Yeah, <laughs> the, the, that's the thing honest. about them. They're not long movies, but once you're like, when you sit down to to cover a retrospective of any movie franchise and like a, a condensed period of time, even if it's just watching one a week. 
you start to find that fatigue sets in pretty quick because it, it, it's less about especially when you're doing them on a show it's less about watching them to enjoy them and it becomes more about having to watch them to review them even when you're thinking I could do a month where I don't have to watch one of these no, uh, uh, next week you need to watch one so um, yeah yep, I'm quite looking, your pain. <laughs> I'm quite looking forward to to finishing the next show off and then moving off and, and doing some really exciting projects that we've got yeah. we've, we've got lined up in the pipeline for, for listeners uh, we're going to put you through uh, through some torment and potentially introduce you to some new favourites um, which I'm looking forward to so uh, yeah I mean this show we, we were speaking off here um, this show is going to run long um, yeah, this is going to be a mammoth session. I mean, yeah. it's four movies. I don't, I don't think I've ever done four movies in, in any show, to be no, honest. No. Um, uh, so, yeah, that, this one's got list. length. Yeah, so. And girth. Um, <laughs> oh, graphic. <laughs> uh, so, uh, we are going to forgo our usual what have you been watching because I know that the list of what you've been watching is fucking ridiculous. Yeah, <laughs> this is the thing as well. I have actually managed to watch others, I've had a bit of free time. Um, and I took full advantage in the past I wouldn't have sat down and watched movies but I'm getting more into watching not even just horror all the time but I have, so I have I've watched quite a lot more than I normally have normally go have you watched it well not really I watched an episode of The Walking Dead but yeah. no I've, I've watched a ream of it so we'll, we'll maybe need a, an entire show on its own just about the bars I think that's what we'll do I think we'll do a bonus content show maybe record in the next couple of weeks um, where we just kind of catch up and touch base I think that that would be be useful because I, I've been I've been st- I've kind of found my second win and it's started to to really boost back into horror movies which I've kind of been neglecting really uh, most of this year by my usual standards you know watching maybe two or three movies a week is quite tame in comparison to how many I usually watch um, horror wise and there's a couple of recent ones that have come out that have really kind of captured my interest and um, when this show drops I will have seen it follows at the cinema which um, I can't wait to see because a lot of people I know in the in the horror podcast community that have caught this movie at festivals have told me this movie is genuinely creepy and genuinely scary. Yeah, I think you sent me the trailer for it. Yeah, I know you've been banging on about it for quite a while, and the trailer looked awesome. I've got to say, I really like the trailer. Yeah, I, I can't wait. And the fact it's getting a full cinematic release in the UK blows my mind because um, it's a small indie movie. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I don't know if that's kind of highlighting the changing times of, of horror movies and things like that, how they're, how they're being packaged and how they're being presented. But um, we will get into these things uh, on a special bonus show which will come up. Um, so, I mean, uh, what we should probably say to our listeners is that I know that some of you are hardcore out there. I know that some of you went through the four and a half hours of the Carpenter Roundtable in one sitting. I commend you all uh, for doing that. I know some people split up over two or three listens. This might be one of these episodes as well that you want to split up over two or three listens. It's going to be long. It's going to it's going to exceed four hours, I think, in my in my mind. Um, so, uh, but, but more importantly, it's going to be knicker drenching stuff. <laughs> it will be. It'll be four hours of the bars. Um, I mean, that's just, it's like Christmas has come early uh, in 2015 <laughs> for you people out there. So yeah, we're going to take a very short break. It's going to be a, a couple of promos for shows that I love. You're going to hear the trailer for our first movie review, which is a Friday the 13th Part 5. Oh my God, yeah. We're going to be, uh, we're going to be knee deep in uh, blood, guts, tits and hockey masks and machetes coming right up after this. 
My name is X. And I'm Cootie. Please consider us your high priest and priestess of satanic cinema. Join us on our podcast, Kiss the Goat, which will drag your soul through some of the finest and worst devil movies of the last 50 years. Devils and demons, exorcisms and possessions, cults and rituals, dogs and cats living together. Is that a devil movie? Maybe. Sort of. I don't know, babe. We'll talk about it later. Join us on the Horrorphilia Podcast Network every other week as we don our hoods and cloaks and kiss kiss the the goats. It's a hell of a good time. I knew you were going to say that. Of course you did. It's in the script. Do you like movie reviews that are insightful, thought-provoking, and delivered by somebody who's trained to critically dissect every aspect of a motion picture without ever having to use obscenities? Then you've got the wrong f***ing show. Kruger Nation Horror Podcast is ready to feed your slasher movie and exploitation needs. There'll be more blood, expletives, and titties than you can shake your grandma's beetle flaps at. Visit www.krugernation.com. at age 12. Brutal self-defense murder of a psychopathic killer. Boy, they've given him every therapy they can think of. It's wonder his mind isn't fried with all the drugs they've given him. The mindless, murderous fury that was buried with Jason has been reborn. And suddenly, terror has become child's play. Friday the 13th, part 5, a new beginning. Welcome back. So you've just heard the trailer for the first movie review on this Baz V Horror. Right. <laughs> we have to begin with this movie. Right. So basically, basically, if you have listened to the previous Baz V Horror, you would know that at the end of part four on Friday the 13th, everything was wrapped up in a nice, neat bow. The story came full circle. Everyone was happy. There was a quite cool twist we end in there that we quite liked. Everything was great. The Baz was on board. He was loving it. Everything was so Comfy. However, we have to take a step back and say that that was only movie number four in a franchise that spawned 11 movies, and that's including the remake, so... Not even halfway yet. (laughs) Not even halfway, Buzz. Right, so uh, with that in mind, we're moving on to our first movie review, which is Friday the 13th, part five, which is also known as 
A New Beginning from 1985. Um, so this comes one year after Part 4 um, in terms of and the release date, not in terms of the actual date of the movies. Um, but, you know, chronologically within them. So uh, this movie was directed by Danny Steinman. Um, and the movie stars Anthony Burrell, uh, Suzanne Bateman, Dominic Brasca, Todd Bryant, Curtis Conway, uh, lots of other p- folk. But importantly, let's just take a, a second to mention the wee Corey Feldman's back in this one, Bass. <laughs> the wee Feld dog makes a wee return. J- just for you. I-, I get the feeling that he made it just for you. Yep. You didn't know it. It was years before you were watching the film. <laughs> Basically, this movie is 30 years old, right? So, it's 30 years before you knew it, but I did it just for you. Um, and the synopsis is, Still haunted by his past, Tommy Jarvis, who, as a child, kid, killed Jason Voorhees, wonders if the serial killer is connected to a series of brutal murders occurring in and around a secluded halfway house where he now lives. Now, Baz. Duncan. <laughs> right, we're running four movie reviews on this show, yep. so... It's stamina shit, <laughs> stamina is going to need to be maintained throughout, so I hope you've got your can of monster. I've got my fucking game face on, big man, that's all I need. <laughs> right, so... My game face what? and my horror stunner. <laughs> your horror stunner. <laughs> for, a, for our American <laughs> listeners, <laughs> a, a stunner is another word for an erect cock or a hard-on. We, yeah. we need some kind of glossary. Tagged on the end of our shows, don't we? Because every, every 50 minutes, like for our American listeners, <laughs> that, so, that alluded so, to. Some sort of Bazzy's Almanac, is that what you're saying? <laughs> I think people would buy it. A Bazmanac! A Bazmanac. That's what we're calling it, right? See, from now on, from the, 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 note this date in your diary, people. From this day on, when Baz says something that we don't know, that word is getting added to the Bazmanac, right? <laughs> Uh, so, right, just remember, from now on, the Bazmanac. Right, so Baz, you watched this movie yes. tonight. Yes. Um, I'll let us know what you made of the fifth instalment in the Friday the 13th franchise. Certainly shall, Dunk. Yep, as you say, we arrive at part five, rather George Lucasly entitled A New Beginning. <laughs> um, so yeah, as, as you say, at the end of the last movie there, um, we're led to believe that Jason has died beat to death by the the tiny uh, Corey Feldman. So it is, I think back, it is slightly unbelievable that he can survive an axe to the head, but a very frail-looking 12-year-old boy can beat him to death with bare hands. <laughs> Listen, we'll, we'll skip one from that. So anyway, <laughs> this film opens with a figure walking through the woods uh, dressed in, in full fisherman sou'wester gear, it has to be said, um, and it arrives at a, a, a grave... Uh, a kind of freshly dug looking grave in the middle of the woods with, with a kind of wooden headstone that says uh, Jason Voorhees and the camera pans round and all praise to the tiny baby Jesus it's wee Corey Feldman <laughs> well dog with his little John Lennon specks all dashed with rain and water and stuff looking very mean and moody it's got to be said um, and, he, and he looks you know, just just like he did towards the end of the last film, although his hair has grown back and he no longer looks like former UK TV presenter Gail Porter. <laughs> um, yeah, so he's there um, and he's looking at the, the grave and he's all kind of freaked out, oh God, it's Jason's grave. And then he hears people coming, so he sprints back into the tree line kind of thing and these two other guys turn up. Um, they're very clearly like kind of arsehole teenagers 
who have gone to find the grave of Jason Voorhees kind of thing, and they start digging it up, and they pry open the coffin, and we get a glimpse of Jason lying there uh, with worms coming out the eyes of his, his masks and everything. Mm. And then, of course, Jason being Jason, he springs to life with his handy machete that was in the coffin with him, and he takes out the two fuckers that have dug him up kind of thing. Um, and then he gets out the grave, and he, he just stares at wee Feldman in the trees. And Feldman makes this amazing fucking face where he looks like a really cheap sex doll. <laughs> go, go, back, go back and check it. He really, really does. Um, <laughs> uh, Jason comes after him, and just as he's about to bludgeon him with his machete, it turns out it's a dream. Rather disappointingly, that is the last we see a young Corey Feldman in this fucking movie. Um, yeah, go- I think. I, I think, in fairness, at the time, I think he may have been shooting the Goonies. Fuck the Goonies, man. <laughs> anyway, um, Goonies never say die, Baz. Goonies never say die. Yeah, but they basically just ruined this film for me now, haven't they? <laughs> um, now I had you had made me aware. I had asked if he came back because. It, as I said at the end of the last Baz V Horror, at the very end when he's embracing his sister over Jason's corpse kind of thing, we Feldman throws this look at the camera as if to say, I'm Jason now kind of thing, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think I'd maybe mentioned to you and you said, well, he kind of comes back. And I was like, oh, this will be like Mrs. Voorhees in the second one, but it's actually just pieced together clips. Mm-hmm. of her from the previous film I thought that's what it'll be it'll just be a wee montage of Feldman running about in, in part 4 but it's not it's an entirely new scene that's been shot with him so in fairness he does make an appearance in the movie but it is uh, it's heartbreakingly brief Duncan mm-hmm. yeah tragic so uh, <laughs> yeah so he wakes up and then we see basically it's the adult Tommy Jarvis well kind of late teenager uh, Tommy Jarvis now in the back of a kind of secure ambulance being driven from a what appears to be a kind of mental health institution um, and as I say it's not Feldman it does appear in fact to be James Vanderbeek of Dawson's Creek fame that's <laughs> what you, la- that's what you laugh don't yep. it's not you actually thought- James Vanderbeek but there are scenes when you see him at the window and it's James Vanderbeek's living image I always thought he looked like the guy from the Waltons. Remember the Waltons? the Waltons? What, what, he was also the in... Mole. Yeah, I always thought he looked a bit like him. No, he's got Vanderbeek ripping it on me, honestly. He's got Vanderbeek ripping it. It says Dawson's Creek. I don't want to have to wait for our lives to be over. Neither do I. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just waiting for me Joshua Jackson to come running it. Pacey? You know oh what I mean? Oh my God. Anyway... Yeah, so the, the, the James Vanderbeek like Tommy has been driven to this camp. Um and it's not a holiday camp like uh, like a summer camp like it was in the earlier movies. It's a kind of like a rehabilitation centre for mm. people who are recovering from mental health problems and, and breakdowns and so on. Um and so it, it kinda looks like he's he's been in treatment basically since the end of part four. Um there is a bit where they turn up at the the camp and he's kind of introduced to the man and woman that run the camp kind of thing and there's a, a rather creepy ambulance driver guy who appears later on in a scene um, who does this fantastic little move behind the woman's back where he wiggles his ear and waggles his tongue at her kind of thing because mm-hmm. that gets the fucking mo- ladies motors running do you know what I mean odd odd little man anyway big James Vanderbeek goes into the, the camp they explain to him you know 
we're here to prepare you for entering society again, you know, and they, they kind of read his file and there's talk about he's been on all sorts of medication and all that kind of stuff. Rather interestingly, he also has a very large lock knife on his person, <laughs> which you've got to think for somebody who's just been released from a secure mental institution. It's suspicious to say the least, Duncan. <laughs> um, we are then introduced to the, the character of Reckless Reggie, or Reggie the Reckless, or whatever his fucking name is, who's a down-home street kid um, who's staying to see his grandpa in a very unstreet-like kind of way. He's clearly the replacement for Feldman's wise-cracking little teenage pervert <laughs> from the previous film kind of thing, you know? So oh, that, little Reggie. <laughs> that's, that's Reggie. And he says they call me Reggie the Reckless. Do they, Reggie? Do they really, son, or have you just made that up? <laughs> Yeah, I'm pretty sure you've just made that up. Well, when you see what his older brother's like later on, oh, listen, mate, that, that's what I'm building up to. That's the best part of the fucking movie. Don't, don't, don't preempt me here, sir. So, uh, so we've got Reggie the Reckless. He scares uh, Tommy, growing up Tommy, with a plastic spider. Growing up Tommy then scares seven shades of shit out him with one of his masks. So it appears that Tommy's still doing the mask thing like he mm-hmm. was in the first movie. In fact, all he appears to have brought with him in his massive bag is lots of weird horror masks. That's kind of fucking creepy. Man after my own heart, Baz. <laughs> pack, pack, pack like, but pack to scare. <laughs> There's then a couple of cops turn up at the camp. Um, they've basically lifted two of the inmates, for want of a better term, and it's the two that we'll refer to as the Randy shagging inmates, because that's all they do through the whole thing. They've basically been caught doing it in the woods. But they were caught doing it in the woods of a neighbouring farm, so we're then treated to crazy Ethel. Oh, Ethel. I've got to say, I like her a lot, man. She is the best thing we've had since Crazy Ralph. Um, Will you shut the fuck up? Shut the fuck up, you dildo. Um, and her, her son that repeats everything she says. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, so Ethel turns up, and she's obviously clearly a, a female spin mm. on the, the crazy old male characters that we've had in, in the first few films, but we're sadly lacking in the last one. Mm-hmm. And I've got to say, putting it on its head and making a woman this time is pretty radical stuff for the makers of these movies, let's be honest. Yeah. That's a fascinating <laughs> plot twist. <laughs> um, yeah, so Ethel turns up with her frankly borderline retarded mongo son um, who's driving a motorbike thing um, she's from the the neighbouring farm and this scene's obviously set up just to introduce uh, a number of characters uh, to it so we have these cops including the sheriff we've got mm-hmm. the two folk that run the camp there's a scattering of nubile young teens with mental health issues uh, and we've got crazy Ethel and mongo son Mm-hmm. So already we've got quite a big cast here, and I have a bit of a problem with this. That I'm going to come back to later on. <laughs> um, next scene, we get introduced to Simple Joey, who is uh, one of the inmates as well. He looks a bit like a sadder, fatter Shelley. Yeah, from a uh, part was it three that Shelley was in? Yeah, he likes. Yeah, yeah but he likes his candy bars. He does he loves a fucking candy bar and laundry? Apparently. Um, <laughs> So we get to meet him, we, we get to meet the, the very troubled and very angry Vic. Oh, do you not think, Ray, we, I was speaking about this recently, do you not think of all things to give an angry 
we would assume some sort of, you know... Borderline uh, psychotic. Yeah, personality. A fucking axe to chop wood in the middle of summer, Baz. Yeah, absolutely. And do you know why you shouldn't... You can tell by looking at the boy he's trouble. For two things. Mm. On his arm, he's got, he's got a leather-studded strap, but way up on the, the bicep kind of thing. Mm-hmm. He's trouble. And he's also wearing <laughs> ankle bandana. <laughs> Fuck giving him an axe. You know what I'm saying? So it is the universal sign of the psycho, the, the ankle bandana. It really is. It really is. There's <laughs> another two girls as well, one who I think is Robin, and then we're introduced to the quite foxy, 80s goth kind of looking Violet. Who's oh, you you got the hots for Violet? I did get the hots for Violet, yes. We had crimped hair and all that, <laughs> the dip-dyed ends and everything. Um, she reminded me a lot of girls I went to school with, actually, bizarrely. Um and she's one of these ones that's always got her headphones on. She's moody and misunderstood and a bit goth kind of thing. Um, and then just to prove us right, crazy angry Vic bludgeons Joey Death with an axe. For After nothing. being offered, yeah, well, he got, no, well, let's think about it, Baz. Is it for nothing? Well, he gave him a chocolate bar which he cut in half, which clearly upset the big fella, do you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, but it, is, it, does, it did tell him like two or three times before to leave him alone. He did, he did. It, it does not warrant the bludgeoning that he took the dunk, <laughs> let's be honest here. Even in your fucking books, that was uncalled for. <laughs> but I did notice an interesting thing here. Uh, to my knowledge, I think that's the first kill we've seen in any of these films that wasn't done by Jason. That's right, spot on. Well, other than Jason's mother in the first movie. Yes, yeah, sorry, you're quite right, but uh, like the main protagonist, if you yeah. like. Because bizarrely... Big Vic doesn't appear again in this film. Yeah, Vic, Vic disappears Yeah, the, the cops turn up to get him, they whisk him off, the ambulance folk turn up to deal with poor dead fucking Joey, um, and that's the last we see of Vic, and it wasn't actually until I watched the film a second time that I realised, God, he doesn't come back again. Yeah, the, uh, very, very quickly, they sweep everything under the carpet and go back, because basically, we're, we're I think we're ten years in the future from the previous movie, yep. um, and they're very much aware of the things that did happen with Jason they're very much as far as the police are concerned that has not you know the Jason thing doesn't exist anymore and they're all trying to basically play as if nothing bad happens now so I think that's one of the reasons why the cops don't like the idea of the halfway house being there at all because it's you know it's bringing troublemakers to an area which has been trouble free for ten years, um, yeah. and I think that's pretty much why you don't see Vic again. I think they're just like oh, he's getting the fuck out of here now, and that's it. Yeah, which is absolutely fair enough. But don't you think they might have come down in the camp a little harder as well? Do you know what I mean? <laughs> like, so you, like you, you gave him an axe. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Do you feel that you maybe you know encouraged this situation by giving him a fucking sharpened axe? Another one. Another one hopped up on fucking sugar. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, so, so in addition to the cops turning up to whisk away Crazy Vic, um, and a, the ambulance turns up, and there's two kind of ambulance guys, one of whom is a complete arsehole, and he uses mm-hmm. the P words that put him in my fucking bad books. Oh, yeah, that's you know how to do that. Um, and the other one, who looks quite troubled by the whole thing and does a lot of soap opera acting, like kind of looking off into the distance and stuff, and we'll come back to him, his name's Roy. Mm-hmm. Shortly after that, we are treated to two who I have described here in my notes as Fonzie rejects who break down <laughs> their car breaks down in the fucking woods, and then bizarrely one of them is dressed like fucking Marlon Brando's shit wee brother from the Wild One. Do you know what I mean? 
He's wearing one of those leather biker caps. Now, I'm not sure whether they're supposed to be um, like the kind of archetypal tough kids or mm. are they in fact male escorts cruising for cock? Because they could be either one. <laughs> they really could. It's quite confusing for me. Especially one creeps off into the woods himself. Ostensibly had a shit. I think he was cottaging, but that's just me. <laughs> yeah. So while he's in the woods, God knows what, the, the other slightly less gay looking one gets killed with a flare in the mouth, which I actually thought was quite a good kill scene. And at least it does show that they're still trying to stretch the boundaries here a wee bit. We've not yeah. had a flare based death so far in any of the films. So that mm. showed a bit of kind of enthusiasm from the filmmakers, if you like. Uh, obviously, we don't see who th- who's doing it. So again, we're kind of back to the earlier films where you're mm-hmm. not. Well, obviously, you see the protagonist, but you never see the face. You don't actually really know who's doing this. Bearing in mind, Jason's supposed to be dead. Mm-hmm. Um, the other one, uh, fucking village people, Fonzie comes back. Um, he gets in the car and does this weird thing where he starts to kind of sing his complaints to his friend. Car won't start. You fucked up again. The car won't start. Get the fucking car going. It, which is bizarre. Now, this theme of singing to themselves is prevalent throughout this film, Duncan. Oh, right. And it's quite unsavoury when you see it. See, you've not even picked up on this, have you? I've no, no, no. back to it, Duncan. It's very unsettling. Anyway, <laughs> thankfully, he gets his throat cut by the assailant who's now in the back of the car. So the, the two Fonzie male hookers are dead now. Um... Back at the camp, Big James Vanderbeek is having flashbacks and kind of hallucinations of Jason. Um, but we know that their hallucinations, they do disappear. So it's not like we think, oh, there's Jason. Mm-hmm. Um, the camp gathers for breakfast. Big Vanderbeek turns up. Uh, the male mad shagger inmate frightens him with a mask and Tommy goes absolutely tonto on him and batters him stupid in the kitchen, which is quite good. Yeah. <laughs> Next door, we're treated to one of my favourite scenes where Mad Ethel is cooking up some stew for her fucking Mongo son who's eating it like I don't even know what. My wife was disgusted she caught this scene earlier on. She was horrified <laughs> by it. But then we, um, there's a, a mysterious stranger appears at the door. <laughs> who's, who's, and I've written here, he offers to do work for stew. Yeah. So he's basically he's hungry. He's not eaten in a couple of days, apparently, according to him. Yeah, he's he's not seen what's in that stew either. Yeah. Now I've got to say, offering to do anything for Ethel is a fucking risky game. <laughs> I'm thinking that she ain't had much action since Mongo was a child. Do you know what I mean? Um and it, <laughs> this could go real bad real fucking soon for you, my friend. Do you know what oh, I mean? God. And she says she says something. <laughs> Oh, I can't believe I'm going to say this. This is the fucking. This is the one that's going to get us taken off the internet, Duncan. She says to him, "You can get out there and something along the lines of, you can do some work and then I'll fill your stomach." And then she turns oh. away. <laughs> In my head, I imagined her saying, "And I'm going to fill my stomach with your cum." Oh, Baz, <laughs> Baz, there is no need. There is no need oh, for that vulgarity on this show. Honestly, I mean, it was. I wonder what's going through your head sometimes. I really do. It's a fucking dark and mysterious place, don't <laughs> honestly. But not as dark and mysterious as fucking Ethel's gavernous vagine. 
Anyway, um, yeah, so I, I just found this absolutely hilarious, this scene, the repressed sexual frustration from mm-hmm. Ethel and the Mysterious Stranger is fucking palpable. It was Oscar-winning level, it was just amazing. If it wasn't for the retarded son dribbling in the background, it was up there with an officer and a gentleman, as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> yep, so that was, that was my favourite scene so far. Um, <laughs> they have that back and forth. Where, uh, <laughs> you, you, was it she says something like, uh, uh, <laughs> you, you <laughs> That's what so a fucking man. Yeah, that is what ugly fucking man. Yeah, mama, that's an ugly fucking man. And he's just like, you ain't so pretty, you know it. And he goes, I ain't so pretty, I know it. <laughs> it's fucking bonkers. Absolutely bonkers. Oh. And then she goes back to screaming as she's chopping. Yeah, yeah. Uh, with the chicken. Yeah, and the yeah. karate chop sounds that she's making. It's a fucking odd one, Ethel. I'm, I'm, now, I'm now thinking, Baz, you've kind of got me thinking about this movie in a different light. Do you think that noise is repressed sexual tension? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. I'm telling you, it's, it's, it's going to fucking happen. Um, yeah, it's a crazy horn, the Ethel. She goes by <laughs> chopping the fucking... Choking the chicken, as it were. <laughs> <laughs> Back in the hillside, the cops have found the dead Fonzie hookers. Um, and I've noted here that there are, there's a lot more characters in this film, so we've now got this fucking mysterious stranger. And I think this is my, my biggest problem with the film, right? And I'm not saying I dislike the film, mm-hmm. but the biggest problem I have through most of it is they, they introduce this huge array of characters that's much more than any of the previous films, and it's clearly like, who's the killer? Who's Jason? Is it Jason himself, kind of thing, or is one? Of the, do you know what I mean? And I just think they overdid it. Like they really drowned it. Like in first watching, I was finding it quite hard to keep track of who everybody was, kind of thing. You know? Right. We'll come back to that at the end, though. But um, I, I noticed at this point in the movie there, there was so many more characters and like little side scenes going on, stuff like mm-hmm. that. Um, we're then treated to a scene with a creepy, tongue-waggling, pervert nurse guy from early on. He turns up at a diner basically trying to fire into Lana, the waitress. Lana turns out to be the sluttiest waitress in the world. <laughs> um, and there's a fantastic scene where she gets her cans out in the mirrors going, it's showtime! And she whips open her top and there's her breasts and all their glory. I will give this uh, show, this film that's due, the, the breast quotia. Quota, even the breast quota <laughs> is through the roof in this film. Yep, so they really turned it up a notch, didn't they? Mm-hmm. God bless them. <laughs> uh, yeah, so <laughs> the, the horny waitress is just locking up. Billy, the, the creepy pervert nurse guy, is in his car waiting. He obviously decides to do a fucking ton of blow while she's getting changed and getting her cans <laughs> out in the toilet. Um, yeah, and he's, cr- he's scarily older than her. I mean, he is like. Oh, she she went. She went no spring chicken herself. She she was like the fucking corn princess queen, like twenty year ago, and now she's the yeah. fucking waitress. She's the archetypal head cheerleader that never got out of the wee town. Do you know what I'm Aye, saying? But, but he's he's a wee bit creepy, man. Mm. Couldn't agree more, and that's what she's reduced <laughs> to riding because he's the only one that's willing to show her any fucking attention. It's like a, it's like something out of a Bruce Springsteen song. Do you know what I mean? It's glory days. It's glory days. <laughs> On film. This film works on so many fucking levels. I hadn't even thought of that now. I'm going to watch this a third time later on. Fucking brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> right. So, 
Pull the fuck am I right? Aye, so right, so she's inside getting herself all beautified and, and spraying uh, mouth freshener in her breasts for some reason. He's outside doing a fucking ton of blow. He then under- <laughs> and when he's doing the blow, he does the wee oh. singing thing again, or he does a kind of commentary of what he's yeah. doing with sound effects, like every yeah. time he gets, <laughs> which is quite something to behold. Understandably, then Billy <laughs> gets quite agitated waiting on her. Which mm-hmm. happens when you do fucking kilos of coke <laughs> while you're waiting on somebody getting ready. You're bound to start getting a wee bit agitated fucking frustrated. Um, so, not content with peeping the horn continuously, he sticks his head out the car and receives an axe through the cranium for his trouble. <laughs> and that's fucking Billy dead. We Randy Lana there. She, somebody throws a cat at her, which is fucking hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> and it, it's up there with the duck throwing escapades. In, in part three or two, whatever it was. Um, they do love chucking an animal at somebody for a cheap fucking... Uh, for a jump, jump scare. scare. in these movies. And I've got to say, I'm on board with that. I really am. It's not very PC of me, but fuck better. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> um, yeah, so she then comes out all fucking ready to go and rearing. Uh, can't see Billy. Gets in the car. Uh kind of looks at she finds his blow on the floor where he's dropped it when he's been brutally murdered um, then she basically gets fucking killed as well kind of thing by mm-hmm. this uh, this assailant this mystery assailant um, the, there's then a, a a scene with the, the, the sheriff and a very shite mayor the mayor is one of the worst things in this film his acting is diabolical he's only in it for like how long and that's the reason don't yeah, he's in it for us. Um, and how does a town this size have a mayor? Yeah, that's it's fucking, true. It's fucking, it's tiny. We'll, we'll get back to it. But, you know, there's a couple of things that, like, that always, every time I watch it, I'm like, so Crystal Lake has a mayor? That doesn't make yeah. any sense at all. That's very true. Um, so the sheriff's giving him hassle about all the deaths. He blames it on Jason. The mayor says, Jason, don't be so stupid. Jason's fucking long dead and cremated and all that, and he wants a live suspect. Um, we're then back at the camp, uh, and the two mad shagging inmates run off into the woods, surprisingly, to have sex. Um, and somebody's watching them. We assume it's the Jason character, for want of a better term, but it's not. It's the fucking creepy, mysterious stranger that Ethel's going to molest. Um, mm-hmm. But her dreams of molestation are cut short when he is brutally stabbed in the stomach. <laughs> We're then treated to a fantastic two minutes of the horny female shagging inmate's breasts. Mm. Um, there's some quite gratuitous shots in that, and once again, I salute the director for that. Um, <laughs> it was fantastic. Absolutely fantastic. Fucking brilliant. Um she then gets, well, I thought she'd got her head cut off with a pair of shears, mm-hmm. but in the, in the next scene you find that they were actually jammed through her eyes, which is quite quite nice. Um, mm-hmm. Basically, her boyfriend, post-coitus, runs off to wash his cock in the stream. Um, she gets a fucking, like, what did I call it? Shears through the eyes. Yeah, that's a, a great kill. Yeah. He comes back, rolls her over, um sees the, the terrible state of eyes and I actually was surprised they didn't finger her again but whatever um, <laughs> and then he is then so we go from the best kill in the film to the worst oh because he's killed against a tree with a belt used as a tourniquet 
So basically, yeah, the yeah. belts round his head and round the back of the trees. The killers at the back of the trees twisting like a stick in the back of the thing to make mm-hmm. it tighter and tighter and tighter. And we, we see like his head getting crushed. Right, one that just couldn't happen. Right, you would just push the belt up off your head. Right, two, the leather would have snapped. Right, three. <laughs> The metal buckle bit and the thing would have said, you actually see it starting to break apart, right? And four, and this is the fucking killer, Duncan, and this is why this is the worst fucking kill in any of these movies. You see, there are three shots of him twisting the tourniquet with the thing. In mm-hmm. the third shot, he is twisting the tourniquet the opposite way. <laughs> so he's a. Say- <laughs> the killing blow is actually struck as he loosens the tourniquet. Now, I'm sorry. I know these films aren't great on detail, right? But that's taking the fucking piss. Have you ever noticed that before? No. Go back and watch. Go back and watch the tourniquet scene after we finish the corner. I've right? seen this movie easily 20 times and I've never noticed that before. Yeah. The first two twice, he's turning it like anti-clockwise and then the third time, he's turning it clockwise. Oh, good God. That's amazing. <laughs> that's so amazing. I, I love this movie even more now. <laughs> Um, and I've, I've written here after that there's a definite plan to try and keep you guessing who the killer is it's, there's a kind of whodunit element mm-hmm. almost in this film um, because you would think that the mysterious stranger at Ethel's was introduced for that but then obviously he dies so it's not him kind of thing you know mm-hmm. um, then we come just frankly to the best part of the film Tommy, Reggie and the female camp boss Pam head out in a truck they're taking Reggie to see his brother his brother, Demon. Oh, Demon's van, Baz. Demon's van. Right, one, he's called Demon. That's just <laughs> fucking amazing. Isn't it? He's, he's a black man and he's called Demon. It's better than Loco in part three. Far better than Loco. Demon. That's how badass this guy is. And he's played by Miguel A. Nunez Jr., Mm-hmm. who I actually kind of recognised and when I looked up he's been in hundreds of films but always yeah. quite small films he was in some Living Dead type thing that I'm assuming you've seen yeah 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 I think he had a kind of bigger part than that but yep. um, he was in Life the Eddie Murphy movie that's right yeah, yeah, yeah. He's, so, been, he's been in loads yeah, like one I, of these guys that just pops up yeah yeah um, so, I, so basically they turn up he's, he's basically living in his van um, and yet Pam, the social worker, seems to think it's perfectly okay to take this young teenage boy along to meet his, frankly, drug addict brother who's living in a van, <laughs> right? Um, but Sweet Edgy's banging on the door and, and Demon opens it. Oh, and he's a fucking black Adonis. Head to toe <laughs> in sculpted leather. The trousers, mm-hmm. the jacket, everything, and the fucking... Biggest ass wet look Jerry curl do that I've seen since fucking coming to America. Uh, that's what I, that's I always think of that when I see it. I always, <laughs> always think of I that. Think I think actually I put hashtag soul glow in my tweet that went up at this point, lad, and I was so fucking excited about this. <laughs> Demon is just the fucking bomb. He's absolutely amazing. He's better than the black bikers <laughs> in part three. He really is, man. He's just got everything going on. Dripping in jewellery, the jive talking, the fucking prostitute girlfriend. <laughs> right, who is sitting there blatantly smoking a joint and yet again, Pam, the social worker, doesn't feel the need to take the boy out of the situation. Not getting the van, 
I with fucking bars. hooker with a joint, do you know what I mean? <laughs> it was days. It's a different time. He's probably just glad he's not getting molested. <laughs> let's be honest. By a fucking UK television presenter. There's <laughs> 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 uh, two things that's going to get this podcast taken off the air this month, eh? Oh, the bars is on fire tonight, boys. <laughs> Now then, now then. <laughs> Fucking allegedly. Well, not allegedly, no. We know Savile did it. I'm, no, I'm going to end up spouting out names here and getting a suit, so I'm going to shut up. Although, big fucking yeah, Gary Glitter's just don't, got don't, done again today. Did you hear that? How's he, how's he not just I been know, locked away let, for let's, He's a fucking chronic pedophile fucking serial molester. Just get rid of him. <laughs> just stop taking him to trial, man. <laughs> anyway. Right, back, back to Demon. Oh, um... Man. Yeah, so basically, Reggie pays him a visit in the in the van kind of thing, um, where uh, Demon appears just to be eating various bits of junk food that he has lying about. Um, Tommy's outside looking at a neon light and getting really freaked out by it, and then Ethel's Mongo son turns up on a motorbike, and then Tommy goes to town on his ass, like Patrick Swayze Roadhouse mm-hmm. on his ass. Do you know what I mean? It's fucking awesome. <laughs> Best fight scene so far in all five movies. Hands down. It's amazing. It's a big Mongol gets a right kicking. Doesn't kill him, but he gets a right kicking. Pam runs out and saves him, I think. So they all head off in the van. And we stay, thank, praise Jesus, we stay with Demon and the fucking crackhorn girlfriend for a while. And, and, <laughs> and then we get a diarrhea-based scene, which is just... <laughs> oh, those damn ladders. <laughs> It's literally the only thing missing in the movie up to this point is a fucking bodily function failure. And there it is. Oh, well, well I think you'll find by this point, I, I, this is me going to throw something at you right. that you've probably not noticed, that in the past couple of films, including this film, no one wipes when they go to the toilet bars. <laughs> I'm telling you, no one wipes in Friday the 13th. I have not noticed that, I don't. The, the toilet paper budget is never used in these movies. <laughs> Is it the same toilet roll? Because there's a very fun- prominent toilet roll in the little toilet scene. No, it doesn't get doesn't used. It, I'll give you that. So, are you saying that's the same toilet yeah. roll? They literally bought one and used it in all the movies. I, 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 I'm going to go with that. I think that they might because it's never. The, no one ever uses. Every person that goes to the toilet in the Friday the 13th movie never uses you toilet paper. Just get on ever. set as well, man. But you can't blow your fucking nose. Just wipe your sleeve. Leave that fucking <laughs> toilet roll where it is. <laughs> And the brilliant thing about Demon as well, like, is obviously like because like it's the enchiladas yeah. that apparently did it. But th- this gets me every time because, like, very much like yourself, I start putting words into the characters' mouths. So when 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 little reckless shows up and he opens it, he's like that. He's like, "Hey, enchilada," and he's like, "No, no, I don't want an enchilada." Tries to offer him pizza. Aye, and an egg roll. An egg roll, right? So he's got. Wait for it, right? We're in a small town. There's no takeaways. We have Mexican food. We have Italian food. And we have Chinese food. But I just expect him to go one step further and go rotisserie chicken. There's a rotisserie chicken about it. Suckling pig. Beluga caviar. It's just it's like he's got this never ending supply of fucking food which could never have been cooked in that tiny van. No. It's, no, all, ta- no. it's all takeout food. Where did he get the food bars? I've no idea, mate. I've, I've... And if you've been mixing Chinese, Italian, and you've been having yourself some enchiladas, some Mexican on top of that, I dare say that you might have a toilet based accent. Yeah, <laughs> you know what I mean. It's fairly fucking stoned through most of it. 
Um, yeah, so anyway, he cramps up <laughs> in the back of the van and runs off to this corrugated iron uh, <laughs> latrine, basically, that yeah. they're very handily parked quite close to. So he's in there, he gets the old leather strides doing, gets on the thing, and uh, and then it starts shaking, and of course we think this is Jason coming to kill him, but it's not, it's his crack core girlfriend outside trying to wind him up. And then they have a little song. Ooh, baby, hey, baby. <laughs> um, which I found out on the internet was written by Miguel A. Nunez Jr. Who plays you're, have, you're having a laugh. Nope, you get that looked up, sir. I found that I will, on the Google. I will be checking that out. Yep, apparently he wrote it himself. I'm assuming in the 12 seconds or so it took him to run from the van to the toilet. <laughs> Just knocked it up while he was running. <laughs> but yeah, apparently he wrote that himself. It just makes it all the better. So anyway, he gets really fucking annoyed with with the woman he's supposed to be loving, like to pack in, bitch. Yeah. Um, which she does, and then it starts up again, and he's like, right, that's it, you're fucking getting it, bitch, and not in a playful, sexy way. And I'm going to come out there and knock your fucking teeth down your throat, bitch. Yeah, because he's not wiped. He got up, pulled his trousers up. He's not wiped. He's pissed off. <laughs> So he goes to go out and the door won't open and it's because uh, his bird's lying on the floor with her throat cut. Mm-hmm. He fucking throws himself back inside the toilet and then um, Jason or whoever the killer is starts sticking a massive metal spike through the walls of the toilet like a huge dangerous game of kerplunk. <laughs> <laughs> um, now, will, and- will, you, will you agree with me here that demons acting yeah, and that sequence is probably the most authentic acting of someone scared in this movie. I, I genuinely think that d- demons, and I'm I'm laughing when I say this, but I'm only kind of half joking. I genuinely think his whole acting in this scene is some of the best acting we've seen in any of the films so far. <laughs> in all fucking honesty, it's brilliant. He is. He's fucking amazing. He's really good, demon. I love him. And tragically, he gets impaled in this fucking toilet, and there's no justice. Um, so that's, that's the end of Poor Demon but what a fucking way to go man do you know what I mean? <laughs> on the toilet like Elvis <laughs> yep uh, well fucking arse full of dodgy enchilada um, <laughs> back at camp and this happens in a lot of the movies so far as well the penny drops and they start to realise that half the folk are missing Pam mm. goes off to find them back at Crazy Ethel's Big Mongo turns up on I've written here and starts acting like a dick on his motorcycle. Oh, he's that's raging because most... he's been beat up, so he just runs around in circles in the garden, just going. Yeah. <laughs> but in, and inside Ethel's telling him to shut up, and then rather cruelly spits into his stew. <laughs> <laughs> Have you ever noticed that? Oh yeah, that's what. That's oh, why when I was saying earlier on, brilliant. would you would you work for for stew that she's made when you God, see what no. she puts in it? But mm. luckily for Mongo, he gets his head cut off right after that, so he never has to eat it. A and satisfying kill as well, Baz, because he's uh, he's an annoying character. Yes, he is. He is. And the thing on the motorbike was ridiculous, man. Um, and then Ethel gets killed through the window with a big fucking hatchet thing and dies face first in her stew in a ironic twist of fate. <laughs> um, then back, back in the woods, Pam's fucking car breaks down. Surprise, surprise. None of them have got a fucking mechanic. Um, in the house, uh, one of the characters we've not mentioned so far, but I refer to him as Stammery Jake. Mm-hmm. Um, he is basically trying to 
finger one of the other females and he fails quite miserably. Goes up the stairs to talk to uh, Violet and gets offed. <laughs> um, the girl he was trying to fire into, she then goes up the stairs and we're treated to another extended breast sequence um, and gets stabbed up through her bunk. Um, mm-hmm. And I've written here in a kind of a la Kevin Bacon in the first movie type thing. In fact, I think we've seen that type of kill in quite a lot of the films, actually. Yeah. We're lying in the bed and something comes up through them from the back kind of thing. Yeah. Um, I've also noticed, I've put in here that I've noticed a lot of the kills in this film, and I don't know why I said it after this one because we've just seen two, but a lot of the kills you don't actually see the kills. Mm-hmm. Kind of see the aftermath, but I've written here in brackets after it, decent breast count though. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> We're then treated to the second best scene in the film where Violet is doing robotics in a room to a oh, yeah. bitching 80s soundtrack, I've got to say. Mm-hmm. Um, and then she gets killed by Jason, and I've written here in brackets, no tits, sad smiley face. <laughs> um, but I've since been informed by my good friend Jerry Espetito that um, the original kill for her involved her getting impaled through her vagine, mm-hmm. apparently, and they actually filmed it and didn't use it. Didn't use it. That seems like a waste. No, there's, there is a, we'll get to that at the end, but there's a specific reason why it wasn't used. Oh, hey, so we're going to talk about Violet's vagina later on, smashing. <laughs> um, we, Reggie, he... Uh, wakes up, he's been sleeping on the couch, he goes looking for everybody, and he finds basically the three bodies of the people that have just been killed there. Um, him and Pam try to escape, uh, but then actual Jason Voorhees bursts through the door. Mm-hmm. So you can actually see him there with the overalls and the machete and the face mask. But I very quickly noticed that the face mask is different. Yep. And there is no axe crack up at the top like from the end of part three. Mm-hmm. Um, and also the the flashes on the mask are different. They're blue. Yeah, they're blue. Jason's yeah. are red. So that, that appears to be quite important. Um, they run off into the woods in the pouring rain, and they find an, an ambulance. And the really annoying, horrible ambulance driver that used the nasty p word earlier on. He's dead inside. And I've written here: Could Jason be the mysterious-looking ambulance driver? We'll Ooh, find out yeah. soon. Um. <laughs> They're running through the woods. Pam finds the camp leader, the male guy. He's pale to a tree with a railway thing through his head, railway spike. Mm-hmm. They run back into the house. And then we get the body through the window scene, which I genuinely think has been in every movie so far. Does somebody get uh, thrown through a window in all of these films? Um, there's, yeah, there's either someone gets thrown through a window or someone comes through a window. Right, okay. Because I'm pretty sure up till now somebody's been thrown through them all. It turns out it's Reggie's old grandpa, which is quite sad because he was hardly in the film. I don't really think yeah. he deserved that. I will say this is the only fright I got. I, I wasn't oh. expecting the body through the window at that point, and it was the one kind of jump scare I got. I thought attempts at jump scares in this film were really bad. Um, mm. But that one got me. Actually, it did give me a week in a jerk when it happened. Um... We then get a kind of chase scene, and uh, it's the first time I've ever really noticed the kind of iconic Jason walk thing, you know, where mm-hmm. she's running frantically and he's walking, and he's catching yeah. up with her kind of thing, and then she falls, and she's crawling, and appears completely unable to stand up again, and he basically walks up to her kind of thing, so we get that kind of unstoppable force kind of effect when it comes to Jason. Mm-hmm. Um 
But before he can kill her, <laughs> Reggie runs him down in a tractor that's, <laughs> that's going at about between seven and eight miles an hour. And Jason appears unable completely to step out the way of the very slowly advancing tractor yeah. and gets run down by it and flung back about 30 feet by this very slow-moving tractor, which was quite funny. I did quite like that. Um, we, Reggie, and Pam are hugging. For some reason, they want to check out the... We're not sure if he's dead, Jason. Um, and, of course, Jason's not dead, and he grabs them. He grabs him by the leg. They run off into the barn. And we then get a kind of barn scene that's similar to part three. Mm-hmm. Um... We get a, a rather amusing little fight where Pam goes at Jason with a chainsaw and they have a kind of shit sword fight with a chainsaw and a machete. <laughs> it's really, really quite fucking bad. In fact, if you actually, if you see if you watch it really closely and you think about what they're doing, you can actually see she's just holding it and the Jason character's literally just touching the knife to it and running it up. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Just to make it like, it's really badly done. Um, Tommy appears... And Jason and him, it looks like, they, well, obviously he recognises Jason. It kind of looks like Jason recognises Tommy, which doesn't mm-hmm. tie in with the ending, but whatever. Um, there's various little kind of fight scene bits, and then they end up in the kind of hayloft hay bit in the barn, again, like part three. Mm-hmm. Um, Reggie pushes him out like to fall onto this farm machinery with spikes, but, of course, Jason catches the lips so when they go over to look Jason jumps up and catches one of them my wife shat herself at this <laughs> we, I'm getting too desensitised we need to do Colette v Horror by the way because she literally <laughs> fucking, she nearly filled her pants at the bit where Jason's hanging out the barn and grabs their leg proper jumped it was fucking hilarious um, and then Tommy wakes up and he grabs a machete and hits Jason in the arm and Jason falls onto the machinery and gets impaled and the mask comes off, and lo and behold, it's the creepy, deep, mysterious ambulance driver guy. Yeah. Um, but what is a bit fucking stupid is, is the hockey mask has come off, mm-hmm. and it turns out underneath that he was basically wearing a rubber mask to look like Jason as well. Do you yeah. know what I mean? So, oh, fuck, I didn't really dig that bit, got to say. Um, we're then treated to a kind of final scene at the hospital. Um, cops turn up to see Pam and they explain that the ambulance driver was in fact Fat Joey's dad from earlier on and basically um, when he'd seen Joey chopped up by Crazy Vic he'd gone mm-hmm. mad with grief and decided he was going to pretend to be Jason Voorhees to extract his revenge kind of thing um, well, there's then a scene Tommy's uh, in bed and Pam comes in to see him and he, he's stabbing her with a knife but it turns out it's a nightmare um, mm-hmm. and then he kind of appears to wake up and lo and behold Jason's in the room mm-hmm. and it appears to be the actual Jason because he's got the proper mask on the red mask with the axe wound bit in it um, but then it disappears um, so again it's another one of his hallucinations but Tommy gets up and goes over to the drawer um, and as we hospital wardrobe and opens it, and the this the the fake hockey mask is in there, the blue one, mm-hmm. um, which I thought was kind of fucking weird. Do you know what I mean? Like they've taken him to hospital, he's been comatose. Put him in hospital, pack up all his stuff. We'll just take that killer's mask for him as well. He might want that, 
and we'll put it away neatly in his drawer. And how does he fucking know it's there anyway? Right, but I'm picking holes here. Um, but we then see Pam coming up the, the corridor to visit him. We hear a crash. She's into the room and it looks like he's jumped out the window but then the door shuts behind her and there's Tommy with a Jason mask on and a knife. And we're into credits. Mm-hmm. And that is Friday the 13th part 5. Yes. Um, the, as I say, the, the the biggest problem I had with this film was that this kind of whodunit element and they bring in this massive set of characters mm-hmm. to try and keep you guessing as to who is Jason. And in the end we find out, well, it wasn't Jason. It was somebody pretending to be Jason. Mm-hmm. And Jason doesn't actually appear in the film. You think you see him, but it's hallucinations and all that. So apparently yeah. Jason is still dead. And that kind of started me thinking, you know, like, well, it would have been easy to bring him back because you brought him back from the end of three, but he was basically pronounced dead with an axe in his head and mm-hmm. he was able to climb out the, the mortuary bit and be alive. So getting a bit of a kicking off a 12-year-old, he could have recovered from and just gone into hiding in the woods again for 10 years, it, do you know what I mean? Remember at the end of 4, though, he not only takes a machete, which pretty much goes right through his face, but he then slides down, pretty much slide, uh, slicing his head in half. Oh, I did forget about that, right enough. Yeah, okay, fair enough, I'll give you that one, Duncan. Um, yeah, but so as I say, I did have a bit of a problem with this. It was a bit of a one-trick pony in terms of the who is Jason type thing. Mm-hmm. And saying that, in fairness, they, at least they did try to do something a bit different with it. So yeah. you've got to give them props for that. In terms of the film as a whole, um, I thought it's actually one of the best for a standalone movie. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? It, it, to me, it stands up quite well on its own without having seen the other ones. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought the cinematography in that was a lot better. Um, well, it was kind of on a par with four. You can see them getting progressively better as they've gone on, obviously, as you know, they're newer made films and that. Bigger um, budget as well. Each yeah. film had a slightly bigger budget, uh-huh. so... Um, overall, I did enjoy this. But I, I kind of didn't think I was going here about halfway through, but mm-hmm. at the end of it, and having watched that second time, I did really enjoy this film. Um, it's got its problems, yeah, but to me, in terms of enjoyment... I would put it on a par with number four. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a bit fucking daft, aye, but it's a slasher film about a fucking unstoppable killing machine. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So we're yeah. not looking for fucking Shakespeare here. Um, so yeah, I would, I would put it on a par with, with four. So some of the agony, some of the characters in it were brilliant. Crazy Ethel and Demon were the fucking boss. They yeah. were just brilliant. Um I'd have liked to seen a little bit more with the Tommy Jarvis character, but maybe they were, obviously I don't know what's still to come, maybe yeah. they were kind of building up to have him in it later on, I don't know, and I don't want you to tell me, obviously, because we're going to go into those films. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, so that, that's kind of my feelings on Five, I quite liked Five. I mean, I've seen Five, I, I don't even want to guess, like, easily over 20 times. Yeah. Um, it, it's the one that I always go to when, very much like you say, where I don't really want to have to think about any of the continuity of any of them because it doesn't really... The only thing it does, and I will give it credit for this, is it does carry on a bit of continuity of the actual Tommy character. It's how, at the yeah. end of that last one, how I imagine Tommy growing up is a bit crazy, um, con- continuing with the masks, you know, the mm. fact that he's, he's still doing the masks. I mean, they try and carry that over, yeah. and that to me makes 
a bit of sense. Um, the movie is riddled with things that don't make sense, though, just in general, and don't necessarily work. Um, this is a tiny, tiny town, yet we have a halfway house, we have a mayor, we have a big diner, we apparently must have an endless supply of takeaway shops, um, <laughs> we have Crazy Ethel living out in the sticks. It's... It, you're talking about the characters and, you know, maybe them throwing too many at them. Every single character, though, I remember in this movie, and I can't say that about the other ones. I think, like, whether it's the, the geeky kid with the stammer, the, you know, the, the ridiculously older man with the cocaine, um, yep. the creepy guy that shows up to clean out that, you know, all the characters, they might only necessarily be on the screen for a couple of minutes, but every single one of them is just perfect, you know what I mean, in terms of making them in such a way that they will re- you will remember them, all you every single one of them has a weak work which you're like, yeah, later on you'll remember that character, I think the deaths as well, I think the deaths in this movie, all of them are memorable, you were talking about the fact that a lot of them are off screen that's uh-huh. just due, that's just due to the fact that the MPAA which is the their equivalent of the BFCC over here um just clamp down on the Friday movies like heavily and just anything which had like too much gore or whatever was just cut to pieces. Alright. And this movie is one of quite a few of them which just gets torn up. So it's okay to show a dead body, it's not necessarily okay to show you how they died that way and that's why you would never get to see the vagina kill. It's just never going to happen. That's a crying fucking... You've got it. Now surely fuck Arrow can release a steel book for that, don't you? But a lot of the... This is the problem is a lot of the footage that was shot for these movies has been destroyed. All right. Seven, famously Seven has got, like, apparently had, like, you read the script and things of what they wanted to do. Seven, there was so many, and the seventh one had so many things that were just amazing. It was a very brutal movie, and it was hacked to pieces. And the footage which they hacked out of it's gone. It's been destroyed, so we'll never get to see those versions. Is this because of fucking Tipper Gore and our fucking PMRC? As I think this is just predates the whole the whole Tipper Gore thing. I think that, wasn't that just, wasn't that, like, really late 80s, early 90s? Mm, no, it was, it was definitely the eighties. It wasn't the nineties. Well, yeah, that'll be attributed to that then. Mm. So you, you, a what lot of these movies. Are, I know a lot of these movies get. But then the in the UK we had the fucking video nasties, which was basically we had Mary Whitehouse yeah. doing exactly the fucking same. So, um, so yeah, the, the movies pretty much got destroyed. Really, um, this to me though is the one that is the most fun out of all of them. I know some people say six is the most fun. This to me is the most fun. I just love it. Demon is fucking an awesome oh, character. Amazing. Absolutely. Best, brilliant. best toilet death in recorded cinema history. Um <laughs> by far they need to they need to make that an Oscar category and retrospectively give it to that man. It's fucking yeah it's I, I just there's so much I like about it. The end of the movie is fucking ridiculous and um, I'm of the opinion that that final scene where you see him with the mask didn't happen. I think that's another dream. Oh god, um, fuck. You can't keep saying that in every film, Duncan. But, but no, I think I think that's basically the way cuz you're going to jump into the next movie and number 6 um I know you don't want anything spoiled, but number 6 pretends that number 5 didn't exist. All right. Like, because number five didn't do well, because a lot of people can't get over the fact that Jason's not in it. Right. Uh, see, I did, I've got to say, I kind of struggled with this as well. Not struggled with it, but I did think about it, because obviously Friday the 13th is the Jason Voorhees films, right? And I'm like, all right, so he was in the first four. 
he's not in the fifth one. You're kind of led mm-hmm. to believe he is, but it's not actually him. So, you know, if that's the case, if the rest of them carry on like that, are you telling me that Jason's actually only in the first four? He's actually only in the three of the first four because he's not in the first one. <laughs> Do you mm. know what I mean? Well, well, let's put it this way: the the fourth one, the fourth one goes goes. Uh, the fourth one went in such a way they killed off the character. The fifth one tries to do something different. Fans don't like it. Doesn't do as well. Gets critically panned. They overcompensate pretty much after this right, point. Okay, so you, you're going to all the things that you were saying about the the who done it, the the kind of you know guessing that there there is no doubt after this movie when you move on from six onwards that Jason is doing all the killing and you get a lot of Jason on screen. Right. So, right. Okay. Um, although there's a really cool way how that goes about at the beginning of six, which I can't. Talk about yet? I, I, I mean, I just have a lot of fun. It is not. I, there are so many things that don't make sense in this movie, but just an enjoyment level. This is probably one of the best. I think. Um, Why did you say to me it's very polarizing? Is it? Did a lot of people not like it just because of the Jason thing? Because Jason's yeah, not yeah. actually in it. That's and yeah. And the irony of that is, is everyone that watches it, the ones that mostly complain about Jason not being in it, you only find it out right at the very end. So the chances are you've enjoyed it right up until that final reveal, which you really yeah. shouldn't spoil everything you've seen before. I don't know. I mean, I can get it. Everyone has their own different likes and loathes of the, the Friday franchise. Five is just a polarising one because of that. Right. It's just because it's the movie that doesn't have Jason. Very much like... Um, Halloween 3 is the movie that doesn't deal with Michael Myers and that one's slated because and it, Halloween 3 is amazing um, but it's slated because there's no Michael Myers in it it's not a Halloween movie um, and yeah it's, it's a bit of a shame but I mean I, re- I really have so much time for this movie I enjoy talking about it like I say um, people out there should check out the Devour the Podcast episode where I was on talking about this movie I think I've regurgitated most of the same jokes again on this show but fuck it um, uh, you know why pass up comic gold bass when you can use it twice uh-huh. um, so uh, yeah I love, it's one of the ones that I will never tire of watching other ones I can go a couple of years without watching this one gets watched every year from me it tends to get watched on Friday the 13th so next Friday I'll be watching this movie again because <laughs> I love watching it it's just something I do on Friday the 13th I always watch a couple of them and I alternate most of them but Friday 5 is always played um, it's it's a laugh riot so um, I am going to grade you sir and you go um, and you will be pleased to know that you are getting your first A plus yes Loved the review of this one. You missed nothing. You didn't struggle with anything. You picked a couple of things that you don't necessarily think work, which I'm, I don't necessarily agree with, but you make a valid point for it, so there's no way I can mark you down for it. And this is an A-plus review, Baz. Bitchin'. Yeah, I can only get down from here, don't You can only go down <laughs> from here. Um, and we'll see how you fare in the next movie. So we're going to take a short break. You're going to hear some more promos and the trailer for our next movie review. Um, which is Friday the Thirteenth, Part Six. Um, I am I'm really looking forward to seeing how you go with this one because this one can go. This is one that I hated the first time I saw it. Like really, really hated the first time I saw it. And with age, I have I've grown to like it. So yeah, we're going to be doing Friday the Thirteenth, Part Six, which is known as Jason Lives. Um, so yeah, and we're going to be doing that right after this. Hey kids, do you like horror movies? Do you like podcasts? Do you like people called Gil and Roscoe? If you do, you're going to love 
Gallon Roscoe's Bodacious Horror Podcast. Every week, you'll join your hosts, Gal and Roscoe, who'll discuss a range of topics, including juice drinks, alcoholic drinks, lollipops, bobby socks, Robocop, uncomfortable chairs, comfortable <laughs> chairs. It sounds absolutely nothing like our podcast. Well, it should be a representation of our podcast, so we should start off with a pure cheesy intro and then just uh-huh. be like, actually, no. That, that sounded way too upbeat for us. Yeah. <laughs> we could have some dead classy music in the background and people would think we're really high class gentlemen. We are high class gentlemen. That's just not what our podcast sounds like. Right. So that's Gil and Roscoe's Bodacious Horror Podcast. Look for us on iTunes, Facebook and Twitter. So you've just heard the trailer for our second movie review on this show, this Baz V Horror. It's Baz uh, slowly working his way, slowly but surely getting through it's a the... It's ending cycle of misery, my friend. <laughs> the Friday the 13th franchise. And up next is Friday the 13th Part 6, a.k.a. Jason Lives. Um, so, some information on this movie. It was directed by and written by Tom McLaughlin. Um, the movie stars Tom Matthews as Tommy, the infamous Tom Matthews, uh, Jennifer Cook, David Kagan, Kerry Noonan, Rennie Jones, Tom Fridley, CJ Graham, Darcy DeMoss, and loads of other people in this movie. Uh, the synopsis Tommy Jarvis goes to the graveyard to get rid of Jason Voorhees' body once and for all, but inadvertently brings him back to life instead. The newly revived killer once again seeks revenge, and Tommy may be the only one who can defeat him. So this movie came out in 1986, so we're one year on from uh, part five. And um, Baz, before you know, before we go into this uh, movie review, yeah. on, the, on the previous movie review, you said that you quite liked the idea of it going off in a slightly different direction, but you kind of missed... Jason, and you kind of hoped that he maybe somehow made an appearance in one of these later ones, and yeah. little did you know you only had to wait a movie. Um, a, a, a matter of days. <laughs> um, until you got him back. You now have him back, so tell us what you made of Friday the 13th Part 6, Jason Lives. I certainly shall, but before that, Duncan, I'd like you to answer me a question. Uh-huh. Um, why is it the infamous Tom Matthews, or whatever his name is, 
Tom Matthews did. Means nothing to me, my friend. Oh, well, all you've done is you've made a lot of listeners spit whatever they were drinking or eating across their tables, car windscreens or whatever. Um, (laughs) He is the the, the lead actor in um, Return of the Living Dead. Which, which is I've seen. yeah, which um, I, I think all you've done is spurred on the fact that you need to see that movie sometime. Like, really, really, really fucking need to see that movie. It's fucking awesome. It's like one of the funniest, coolest, most nineteen eighties zombie movies ever made. It's the it's basically a punk rock zombie movie. You'd love it. Ah, oh, sounds like it. Sounds like it. Well, I apologise, listeners, but it is kind of my thing that I don't know anything about shit like this. So, climb but- down off your high horses. <laughs> and get over yourselves oh just bitch slapping the audience at the start here <laughs> getting all preachy all right preachy let's bars. get into this shit let's get into the nitty gritty of this don't uh-huh. so Friday the 13th part 6 um, Jason lives so you're, you're quite right the, the clue was almost in the title of this film perhaps Jason's <laughs> coming back um, it opens with the the legendary Tommy Jarvis uh, driving in a truck with a fellow inmate from the the it's a mental health institution that he's been banged up in. Um, now, obviously, it, tragically, it's it's not the old the the, the Corey Feldman uh, who we saw in such glorious form in part four. <laughs> um, nor is it James Vanderbeek who played him in part five. Yes, yeah. this Tom Matthews guy who you all know, and I didn't have a clue who he was. <laughs> it's him. <laughs> um, and they are heading to Jason's grave basically to make sure that Jason's really dead. Uh-huh. Um, his, his little sidekick kind of implies that maybe they've escaped from the asylum or something like that because he talks about them getting dragged back and stuff like that um, they basically they get to a graveyard now it's not the little grave in the middle of the woods that we saw in the start of part 5 it's it's a proper kind of graveyard um, and they find Jason's grave and they dig down uh, to the coffin Tommy opens it up and there's a decomposing corpse inside which is covered in maggots and all that kind of stuff so yep, Jason's dead, as we assumed at the end of part four. Um, Tommy kind of reacts quite badly to this. He has sort of flashbacks and stuff like that, and he kind of freaks out and he jumps up and he runs over and he pulls a, a railing pole off the kind of dilapidated railings, and he leaps into the grave and starts stabbing Jason through the chest with this big pole, and basically leaves it impaled right through Jason, and he climbs out the grave. At which point, and I can't believe I'm fucking saying this. <laughs> The railing gets struck by lightning. Not once, but twice. <laughs> this is the miraculous effect of reviving the uh, the very dead Jason Voorhees and also uh, rebuilding most of his muscle <laughs> tissue, yeah. which was which was gone in the corpse, but is now back thanks to the the miracle of lightning. Yes, yes, the power, the healing power of lightning bars. It's not it, something we've been able to harness yet, but when we do, it'll cure anything. It's quite impressive, it has to be said. Um, so he, he comes out of the grave, he goes after Tommy. Um, Tommy's mate, Malky's him in the back of the head with a spade, but Jason turns in and he kind of punches right through the guy and his hand comes out the other side clutching the guy's heart. Which was quite cool, I've got to say. That, that was a nice kill, I liked that one. And straight away I noticed that the effects there were quite good. I mean, they're not modern standards, but they're, they're far superior than what we've seen in the previous films. Mm-hmm. Um, Tommy douses Jason in petrol but can't get it lit um, and then he basically fucking runs off and then Jason puts the mask back on 
because uh, Tommy had thrown it into the grave earlier on. Now, interestingly, the one that Tommy had with him was the red mask with the axe wound in it, which mm-hmm. I'll come on to in a second. So Jason puts the mask on and he turns round and looks at the camera and the camera starts to zoom in in his eye and then in the, <laughs> the pupil of his eye we get this fucking weird James Bond pastiche <laughs> as Jason ah, sort of ah. walks into the eyeball and turns in and makes a slashing motion that makes blood come down. I don't know what the fuck they were playing it there but it was quite, quite amusing anyway. Um, so straight away there's a couple of things I've noticed here. Right? Obviously it's not Big Van Der Beek. Um... And also, it, it's like the events of part five never happened. Yeah. And I, I think we talked about this. I can't remember if we talked about it maybe off mic. But you'd said, yeah, basically the next one, they just forget that part five ever happened. Ah, because the, the part five wasn't met well with the fans at mm. the time. So they they basically pretend as if it, it doesn't happen. Yeah. A, lot of the, a lot of the continuity of the Tommy character between parts four and five are lost. You know yeah. what I mean? So uh-huh. no longer is he making masks or Yeah. You know. And I think it's a bit of a shame in fairness. I mean, right, I appreciate folk wanted Jason back, right, well, let's do something about that, but did you really need to to ignore an entire film and the most recent one at that? I just think for me it was a little bit much. Because um, the other thing is like when he throws the mask in, it's the, the red mask, the mask with the red flashes on it, as opposed to the blue one which we saw Tommy wearing at the very end of the last movie. Anyway, like you say, they've just fucking written that off, so let's forget all about it. Tommy then heads straight into town uh, to the cops, and he arrives at Forest Green Police Station, which had me fooled for a wee second. Um, <laughs> he gets inside and he tells the cops that basically Jason's alive. They don't lock, they don't believe him. They find out who he is, and they lock him up in a cell, basically, to take him back to the hospital the next day kind of thing and the, the cop tells him basically that Crystal Lake's been renamed Forrest Green in an effort to move it on from you know the events that have happened there in, in previous films and stuff um, and I've made a little note in my notes here that the, the characters seem to be a little bit less ridiculous than they were in the last one a lot of the characters in the last one were quite over the top Um and they seem to be playing it a bit more straight in this film, in my view. We then cut to a young couple who are heading, um, they're heading to the camp. Basically, the camp has now been reopened. I kind of assume it's the camp from the first one, Camp Crystal Lake, uh, but it's been renamed as Camp Forest Green. Mm-hmm. There's a young couple heading there in a car, uh, but basically they're driving through the woods. They're not even in a fucking road. They're literally driving through the forest, which is a bit, let's not focus on that too much either. Um <laughs> Big Jason walks straight out in front of them, stands in the middle of the road, and we get a kind of amusing scene where the guy's not seen him, but the girl has, and she basically says, I've seen enough horror movies to know that basically a big guy with a fucking spike thing is never going to be good. Um, The guy kind of gets out and squares up to Jason with what can only be described as the smallest handgun in America. Um... (laughs) Despite the fact that it's set in the nation with the most privately owned handguns in the fucking world, he appears to have what is just slightly more menacing than a child's water pistol. Um, He he takes a couple of shots at Jason, um, which Jason appears to bat off as if he's now invulnerable, having been raised from the dead by the magic lightning. Um, And he kills the guy with the, the railing pole, which he has throws him over his shoulder and then he kills the girl as well she's managed to get the car and she's kind of lying in a fucking puddle and he, he appears to disappear and then he jumps down kind of behind her which is a wee kind of jump scare um, 
We then, the next scene, the, the other councillors uh, from the camp basically turn up at the, the sheriff's office looking for these two missing ones because they were like the kind of supervisor councillors or some fucking thing and they've not turned up. And we find out that one of the, sh- the sheriff rather is the father of one of these councillors that's just turned up, uh, a character called Megan. Tommy tries to warn them about Jason and we get a kind of coy little bit of attraction between Megan and Tommy who's banged up. We then have a scene where um, mad old grave digger guy discovers the open grave. And he, he's, I had hopes that this was obviously their attempt to bring back the crazy Ralph type character. Mm-hmm. And I had high hopes because he seemed pretty fucking barking at the start, but he doesn't really amount to anything. He's a fucking poor man's crazy Ralph. In fact, he's a poor, poor man's crazy guy lying in the middle of the road from uh, part three, to be honest. But... Um, Still, we can't remember. Yeah, so he basically he realizes that the grave's open. He gets pissed off, thinks he's going to get into trouble, and he basically reburies it all, kind of thing. And we see Jason striding off through the woods towards the camp. And then there's a little scene where they basically the children arrive. So this is the first time that we've managed to get kids in the camp, kind of thing, <laughs> before they've all been set previously. I'm assuming that was maybe something to do with they didn't want to have kids menaced, and by 1986 it was fine to menace kids or something. I don't fucking know. <laughs> Um, but yeah, so there's kids in the camp this time. We then meet a, a party of paintballers who are dicking about in the woods, including one really fucking annoying little guy who looks a little bit like Steve Carell from Anchorman. Um, and Jason's watching them. Um, one of them, rather fortuitously, has a massive shiny new machete. Yes. Um, and he is very quickly off by Jason, who takes the machete. <laughs> um we then see the sheriff, basically, he's escorting Tommy out of town, tells him to get to fuck kind of thing. Um, and then Jason basically kills all of these paintballers. Um, Tommy is getting escorted out of town in the car, and he sort of drives off in his car, and there's a bit, a bit of a car chase scene, and he heads to the graveyard to try and show them the grave, but of course it's been covered up with the crazy old grave digger. Uh, and then they take Tommy and they sort of... Th- get him to the edge of town and they tell him to beat it and don't come back because he's a freak show and all that um, the crazy old grave digger is then offed very quickly in the woods um, rather ironically by his own bottle of hooch which he had in his pocket <laughs> um, and to be fair I think if that old fella was going to go that's how he wanted to fucking go Do you know, he pretty much told the bottle that about three seconds before he gets killed um, there's also a, a, a pair of, there's a couple of folk in the woods a guy and a girl uh, well, I say guy and girl. They're essentially middle-aged yuppies who are in the woods for a bit of a fumble. Mm-hmm. Um, neither of them are even close to being young enough to doing it in the woods or indeed driving a motorbike, which is what they've turned up in kind of thing. They are the oddest fucking people in this film. In fact, in any of the films, I just thought they were really middle-aged looking. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? And she's trying to get fingered in the woods. Come on, new hen. You're way past that. You're a lot better than that. And you, the yuppie, you're clearly meant to be some investment banker to fucking book a motel. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> um, so they get killed on the motorbike with a kind of double impalement. Um, Jason takes them out with a machete through the guy and then into the woman who's riding pillion at the back. Um, and the, the most tragic thing about that is she dribbles blood on his massive shoulder pads and that jacket probably cost a fortune. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? So that was quite sad. Um... Back at the camp, now I've not really mentioned uh, too many of the other councillors in this. They're a bit 
they're a bit of a fucking non-event in this film for me. Mm-hmm. The other counsellors, it's mostly Tommy and, and Megan, the counsellor. Uh, there is one, there's a, there's a male one who I've, I've referred to as the kid from fame, because he looks like he was in fame. Um, with wildly ripped jeans and fucking extortionately low-cut vest tops, you can see his wee tanned nipples and stuff like that. <laughs> He's having really weird dancing sex in the van with some chick that he knows in like a big motorhome kind of thing and she's basically bopping away to the radio while she's straddling him like a fucking disco obsessed cowgirl um, Jason turns up and, and I did, I quite liked my tweet here, I was like oh, come on now Jason, everybody knows you don't come a knocking when the van's a rocking do you know what I mean <laughs> but Jason doesn't care for the rules of teenage makeout sex <laughs> he kills the bower in the van Um and the kid from Fame and his Tiffany wannabe girlfriend basically drive off. And at this point, I'd clocked they were playing Alice Cooper on the stereo. Because, of course, this uh, part of the franchise is the only one that I was even slightly familiar with. And not that I'd seen it before, but I, I was the proud owner of Alice Cooper's Constrictor album. Yes. When I was a teen. Um, and quite a few of the songs... Well, the theme tune for this film appeared on that and I think a few of the other songs were written for the soundtrack kind of thing and appeared in it. So while they're driving off in their big massive motorhome shagging wagon thing, they're playing Teenage Frankenstein on the radio and I had a wee bit of a bop to that, which I quite enjoyed. <laughs> anyway, turns out Jason's inside the van um, and he basically, kid for fame's driving and he, and he thinks it's great. He really does think this van's great and we know that because he says this is great five times. <laughs> In about just over a minute, they really, really let the fucking dialogue go at points in this movie. So yeah, so he he's driving in the van and he thinks it's great. Uh, his wannabe fucking Tiffany ripoff girlfriend thinks it's less great because she's basically getting offed in the toilet by Jason, um, who reaches out and grabs her and drags her out of the wee portaloo thing, um, and then. <laughs> Smashes her face through the wall, which makes a perfect imprint of her screaming face. Yep. <laughs> I've got to say, I know folk was like, oh, I thought I liked that bit. I really did. That made me chuckle no end. <laughs> um, and then the kid from fame, he gets killed with a knife through the head and they flip the van and the van explodes. Basically, big Jason jumps out the top like something out of the A-team. Fucking brilliant. <laughs> um, the cops, by this point, they've found the original two dead kids. And the sheriff basically thinks that Tommy's doing this, that he's unhinged and he's obsessed with Jason. Um, so he's got him pegged for it kind of thing. Excuse me while I have a little medicinal whiskey here. <laughs> oh, that's the good stuff. Tommy, has, by this point, he's come back into town because he's, he's a, he doesn't give a fuck, he's a renegade. He is a renegade. In fact, he's a rock and roll vagabond, which was played on the radio in one of the cars as well. The soundtrack in this film is fucking bitching. Even the non-Alice Cooper stuff is awesome. Like pure 80s cock rock. It's just fucking great. Um, so Tommy comes back and he, he phones looking for the sheriff, which wouldn't be my fucking um, first plan of action, bearing in mind that the sheriff basically said he would skin him alive if he came back into fucking town. Anyway, he does, but the sheriff's not there, and he gets Megan, um, and she tells him the sheriff's after him kind of thing. Um, I think at this point, I'm not sure if I actually had this in my notes, I did tweet about it. Um, Tommy has somehow, <laughs> now we, we spoke about this the last time, for what is essentially a one-horse town, Crystal Lake, yes. it has an amazing array of amenities. Yes. <laughs> including 
a 24-hour all-night occult bookshop, which (laughs) Tommy's been to, and he's picked up not one, but three... (laughs) Three textbooks on raising the dead. (laughs) (laughs) I I actually shook my head at the fucking television at that point. I was like, Duncan was freaking out because they've got like a motel and a diner in my shop. (laughs) He never told me about the fucking Madame Tussauds world of the occult. (laughs) <laughs> in downtown Crystal Lake that's where all the goth kids hang out do you know what I mean anyway um, yeah so Megan basically tells him listen my dad's looking for you you can't come out of town I'll come and pick you up it's the only way my dad won't find you um, yeah so anyway Tommy's on the phone and Megan basically says listen you can't fucking come back out of town I'll come and pick you up and she will not take no for an answer. And she flashes quite a horny little grin at this point. She's clearly got loving on her mind at this point, Megan. The, the, got the, loving on her mind. Oh, she really has. Aye, aye, she really has. In fact, we'll talk about that more shortly in my favourite scene from the whole film. <laughs> um, and then we see Jason basically arriving at the camp. The cops, by this point, find the remains of the paintballers who've been fucking disemboweled all over the woods. Um, and Jason starts offing the counsellors at this point. Um the kills, a lot of the kills are fairly fucking nondescript, I've got to say. Um, and I've not really got into much details in my notes. They basically just all get fucking killed. But it's it's nothing that we've not seen before with a lot of them kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, Tommy and Megan, get, <laughs> they get stopped. They're in a car, or this kind of red fucking American Trans Am type thing. And they get stopped at a roadblock, basically. Uh, and she says, don't worry, can I hang? I'll, I'll get us out of here, and she basically grabs his head and shoves it right in her groin, and then <laughs> sets off for a, kind of a monumental car chase with the cops. Um, and the one thing I will say for... What, what did you say Tommy's real... Tom... What's the actor's name? Tom, uh, Tom Matthews. Tom Matthews. The one thing I will say, like him a lot, clearly studied Feldman who obviously is the archetypal Tommy Jarvis, uh, because he's adopted his creepy little voyeuristic ways because he gets a couple of healthy fucking viewings of her vagina in that car. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? He really focuses in on her vag at points. Um, and they're getting chased about by the car, uh, by the cops rather. <laughs> she's stuffing his head further up her fucking gusset. And uh, she sees a turk and a <laughs> turn the head. like, yeah, that's what I'm after. And he thinks he's just implying something dirty. And then she goes like that. This is going to be a right hairy turn. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Megan, you saucy little midden. It's always the fucking preacher's daughter or the sheriff's daughter or something. They're always the dirty bastards, aren't they? <laughs> they really are. Tell you, if I was a teenager again and I was in small town fucking America, I would head straight for the fucking vicar's manse or the police station. Have any of you got daughters? Because I guarantee you they'll be filthy. <laughs> Anyway, they get basically get stopped at another roadblock and it's the sheriff and, and Tommy rather sheepishly removes his face from her vagina and kind of looks out the window. Um, and tragically, that's the nearest we get to a bit of raunch in this film. There is not one single naked breast in this film. And I fucking blame that tipper fucking Gore and her PMRC lot because that would have been bang right round about now. And they've obviously stamped in on the hairy 70s bushes and stuff that we saw in earlier films. And frankly, fucking ruined this movie. Anyway... Yeah, so a denim-clad vagine, a den- denim-clad camel toe is about the best we get in this movie. <laughs> um, righteous indignation aside for a second. Um, 
Yeah, one of the little kids who's known as Nancy, she's one of the like, five-year-old or some fucking thing. She actually has a speaking part in this movie. Um, she's found this machete and wanders about with it for a bit. Um, Jason starts stalking her and the counsellor. Um, the cops find uh, the kid for fame fucking butchered. Uh, the sheriff's still convinced it's Tommy, but Megan says, no, it couldn't have been him. He was with me the whole time, blah, blah, mm-hmm. blah. Back at the camp, Jason offers the remaining counsellor. Um, Megan breaks Tommy out of jail with possibly the worst on-screen kiss I've ever seen in my fucking life. <laughs> Honestly, that scene with Sigourney Weaver and the alien when it comes right up to her face was more erotic than this kiss. <laughs> it's fucking appalling. It really, really is, man. And no wonder her her eyes opened up as if to say, oh God, I'm going to kiss him back. It was probably like, what the fuck are you doing to me here, mate? Do you know what I mean? What, what's going on here? This is odd. Never been kissed like this before by a human. Um, <laughs> yeah, so she basically uses that to break him out. Um, I can't be fucking into the detail of that, but anyway, they escape. Um, and Tommy now, thanks to his the books he picked up at the occult bookshop, now knows how to kill Jason. They basically need to take him back to the lake. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Which is pretty fucking tenuous. And actually, when I watched back this back the second time earlier on, <laughs> my wife went like that. Really? Really? He now knows. I was like, just fucking go back to reading your book, Hen, please. <laughs> you missed the bit where the magic lightning brought him back to life. Trust me, this is not the worst fucking thing in this film. <laughs> um, there's a scene with Jason and the wee girl Nancy in the dorm room. Um, and it was kind of like, oh god, is Jason going to go a bit fucking kind of pedophile often kids here kind of thing? But he doesn't. There's a fucking odd wee bit where she prays and he disappears. Cops turn up at the camp. Jason basically starts killing all the fucking cops, and I've written here, I'm actually getting a little bit bored with it now, and it, there just doesn't seem to be a lot of invention in this film, uh-huh. do you know what I mean? I, I know, let's be honest, they're all fucking much of a muchness, do you know what I mean? But I think it was the kills in this film in particular, with the exception of one or two, I just found really fucking boring. Yeah. Um, the sheriff... Uh, he gets the kids to go and hide and then he goes after Jason he's shooting them the gun's no effect so the sheriff fucking runs off Megan and Tommy turn up at the camp Tommy heads off down the pier um, Megan's shouting for her dad but it draws Jason in sheriff tries she, he's, Jason goes to go after Megan but the sheriff sees it, tries to stop him and gets folded in half kind of the wrong way which was yeah. quite cool although in second viewing was there a similar kill in one of the very early ones Somebody getting folded in half like that. It kind of rang a vague bell, but it must be for one of the ones. There's one like later episode, on. Episode maybe one or two or something like that. Th- there's one much later on. Um, there's one in Freddy vs. Jason, actually, which is memed everywhere. So you may have seen a meme of it. Alright, right, okay. Anyway, I still thought the folding in half kill, kill was alright. It showed a little bit of fucking effort. Um, <laughs> down at the beach, Tommy's wrapping a boulder in some chains. Um, and he uses the other end of the chains to make a kind of snare slash lasso kind of thing. And you can see where he's going with this, but it's all a bit fucking ludicrous, to be honest. Um, Jason goes to crush Megan's head, but Tommy calls out for him. He says, it's me you really want, Jason. And Jason heads didn't get him and kind of wades out towards the boat that um, Tommy's kicking about in with his... Uh, with a big boulder. And they have this kind of scrap in the boat kind of thing. Obviously, uh, 
Tommy's plan is to get like the chain over Jason's neck to drag him down to his fucking death kind of thing. Doesn't work out quite as simply as that, but they manage to get there in the end. Um, but Jason kind of destroys the boat and Tommy gets dragged down with him. Um, Tommy basically drowns and floats back to the surface. Megan jumps down, kind of goes to drag him out and Jason grabs her um, and he's trying to pull her down kind of thing. Jason's basically trapped underwater with a chain around his neck and the boulder mm-hmm. on the end. Um, she's struggling to keep above water and she manages to get her hands in the outboard motor and turns it on and basically sticks the the actual propellers into Jason's face, which after quite a prolonged period of time eventually appears to cut his throat kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, she gets up and gets Tommy back to the shore where she manages to revive him, despite the fact he's been dead about five minutes. <laughs> um, and we're then treated to a kind of final scene of Jason's body, basically sort of floating under the water, kind of anchored by this chain. And then, of course, one of his eyes moves. Yeah. And we're into the credits. And the credits are coupled with Alice Cooper's fantastic He's Back, The Man Behind the Mask, mm-hmm. which was written for it. Um, and I'd actually had been over a wee bit of banter during it with uh, one of my friends, Milky, uh, who I'm not actually sure if you listened to the podcast, but had seen my tweets. And he mentioned Alice made an appearance in this movie. And I think you'd said this to me before. I looked really closely in the second one and he doesn't appear to be in it. No, 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 he's not. No, he did the soundtrack. I don't think he's actually in the movie. Right. Milky yeah, seemed to think that he was, but I scanned it really fucking closely. I thought maybe there'd be a tiny wee cameo, but there's very few. I think he's getting confused. Yeah, yeah, I think he's getting confused with uh, Nightmare on Elm Street. Was Alice in that? Alice Cooper's in a Nightmare on Elm Street. I think it's like ah, uh, that'll be what it is. Fifth one, possibly sixth one. Um, right. My knowledge yeah, okay. of the Nightmare movies isn't as good as my knowledge of the the Jason movies. But, yeah. Um, more yeah. of a Jason man, Baz. More of a ah. Jason man. Uh, but yeah, place, he does. Yeah, he, he does. He does make a memory serves. He's like, he's not like Freddy's dad or something like that, stepfather or something. Right. Okay. I'd, I'd imagine that's, that's what Ian's talking about then. So yeah, Charles wasn't in it, but his, his music does appear all the way through, which is quite good. Mm-hmm. Um, like I said before, there is not a single solitary naked breast in this film. Yeah. And I am only outraged. <laughs> um, only in general, outraged. though, I really am. In general, um, the film as a whole. It stands up a lot better uh-huh. nowadays. It, it's still quite dated. Obviously, it's 1986 and it's nearly fucking 30 years old. But the cinematography's better. The the acting is better. But yep. to me, the characters are a lot less memorable. Uh-huh. Um, you know, outside of the main ones, outside of Megan and Tommy and possibly the sheriff, you would struggle to remember anybody in this film. Maybe Kid for Fame, but that's a fucking bit of a push kind of thing. Yeah. Um, so yeah, the, the the acting is of a higher standard in my mind, but I don't think the characters are as memorable. It's visually, it's a better film to look at. The effects are better in it and stuff like that. But I, this is me. I'm starting to get a bit bored with it now. That like, about halfway through, I'm like, oh fuck. There didn't seem to be much effort to do anything. Basically, Jason walks about, kills them, like the paintballers. Yeah. He doesn't stalk the paintballers. He jumps down a tree and just cuts all their heads off. Yeah. Um, the, the yuppie shaggers in the woods just walks up with them on the bike and stabs them. You know, there's, there's very little kind of development of any of the kills kind of thing. Possibly coming from the fact that, again, the cast is slightly bigger than some of the earlier films. Um, yeah, bitching soundtrack, acting of a higher quality, but in general, 
film didn't really do it for me, I've got to say. The other ones, the quirkiness of the early ones kept me interested. Mm-hmm. And while I don't have that nostalgic thing going on, a lot of like the listeners will, I developed a fondness for them because they were a wee bit fucking barmy. Yeah, yeah. Do you know what I mean? This one kind of didn't have that, even though I had them getting reincarnated with lightning and, and things like that. I was just like, oh, fuck's sake, come on. It wasn't bonkers enough to be funny. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? It was just like, oh, Christ, really lightning. Do you know what I mean? So, yeah, overall, not a huge fan, I've got to say. Uh, I, th- I would put it on a level with number three in terms of mm-hmm. actual enjoyment. Didn't really dig it that much. Oh, right. right. Um, well, this is one that when I saw like the first couple of times, did not like it. Did not like it. Um, I always thought that this one, very much a lot of what you're saying is how I originally felt about this movie. I felt that there was a lack of there was a lack of tits in the movie for a start, which is almost <laughs> it's almost like a staple part of the the Friday the Thirteenth sort of series. You, I mean that you get a, you get a couple of scenes of some boobies, and that's you know the hairy version the distance. Yeah, it's like they just spat in her face here, don't. Yeah, the thing about the Tom McLaughlin. See, to me, it's funny because you're saying you're saying a lot of things like. Um, you feel this one doesn't have the quirkiness of previous ones or um, that you feel that it's played a bit more straight than some of the other ones. Yes. And to me, this is probably the campiest one at the whole lot. Um, All right. I, yeah, I think I find, I find this one incredibly, incredibly campy feeling. And, and ultimately, through time and through age, I've grown to appreciate it more. It's nowhere near one of my favourites, but... There are certain things that I quite like about the movie. Um, I quite like some of the kills are pretty cool. Um, I, I love the, the the fact that this movie. And once again, you probably not pick up on this just because you're still getting into horror um, on the kind of ground level, kind of building yourself and enjoying it. There's yep. tons of references to horror in this, like tons of references to horror, uh, horror and kind of on some level. Well, I did. I noticed there was Karloff's. Yes, convenience store or something, which is obviously a reference to Boris Karloff. I picked up on that one. Yep, there's Karloff's convenience store, so that's that's obviously that's one of them. Um, there is a reference to is it Cunningham Way or Cunningham Street or Cunningham Road or something, which is named after Sean Cunningham, who was the guy that directed the first Friday the Thirteenth. Um, so there, there's that in there. Um, there is there's a a slight tongue in cheek nod. Um, towards Nightmare on Elm Street, uh, the little girl that keeps, you know, she's the one that keeps saying that she's having nightmares. Nancy. Nancy. Well, Nancy is the the protagonist in um, a Nightmare on Elm Street. The little, the actress, the little girl. No, no, no. The actual character oh, the name. is called. Yeah, the, the actual name of the girl I is see. Nancy. Right. Okay. So, so you've got that as well. Um, so you know, there's wee bits. There's tons of them right through the whole movie, um, which, like I say, on some level makes you kind of feel like you know this guy's on some level is kind of making this movie for. He's making them for us. Uh, uh, on some level, um, there's references to to Sissy Spacek who played Carrie and Carrie. There's references. Oh yeah, because one of them's called Sissy. Yeah, Sissy wears I, a jet. I did think their fucking their names were a bit bonkers, actually. Yeah, their names. A lot of the names are named after different sort of people that were involved with other things. I mean, there's a fuck. What's his face? A um, kid from Fame's called Cork or Korg or something like that. All right. 
Did that mean anything to anybody? No. No, I don't know. Someone will, uh, someone will let us know. Um, Sissy wears a jacket uh, with the name Baker on the back. Yes, um, uh, a kind of but, football jersey thing it is. Yeah, which is in reference to, to Angela Baker from Sleepaway Camp, which is a, a kind of early slasher movie Yeah, as well. you've talked to me about it before. It's got the big twist in it. Yeah, yeah. So there's there's yeah. tons of tons of these things, you know. What I mean, implied in it. So on some level, not that I'm saying that 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 makes the movie any better. You still got to grade a movie on a movie. Um, I just find like a lot of the kind of nonsensical lines in here, like the guy with the the gun with the sight. You know, wherever the red dot is, you bang. Yeah, laser thing. Yeah. Yeah, wherever the dot is, you bang. You yeah. know, these sort of kind of weirdly campy sort of. The fact that, you know, I've seen enough horror movies to know that if there's a mass killer standing in front, you know, these sort of things yeah. are all kind of, are all kind of on some level a wee bit too quirky for right. Friday the 13th for me. And it was, like I say, it's one of the things I've kind of grown through time to enjoy. Um, it's not, a, it's not one of the better ones. I can't, I would never really defend it. I know there's a lot of people out there that really like this movie. To me, I think it's fun. It's fun in places. Um, soundtrack is really fucking good. Um, Soundtrack's bitching in this, I've got to say. But yeah. I would l- happily buy that and listen to it, actually. Yeah, it's, it's, it's one of the big kind of selling points for me on the movie. Um, out with that, I can't really, like I say, it's not one of my favourites. Um, I actually prefer five to six. I think five is... Uh, is so ludicrous, but in a way I can totally get behind. And it had yeah. Demon in Demon's Van. I mean... Ah, uh, uh, well, I, I mean, we need, we need to say no more. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, I mean, uh, anything else you want to say about the movie before we take a break and then move on to part seven? Um, nope, I think that's me. It's interesting to see we've come, kind of coming in at opposing views now almost in this one. Um, you think it's OTT and I'm kind of saying, well, it's not really. I, I think yeah, that's yeah. quite interesting. I think I might go back and watch it again, maybe... At a later date, I think I need a bit of a break from it. To be quite fucking honest, I need a break from all these films. Uh, yeah, so, um, your grade for this one, mm-hmm. um, I will give you a... You like the soundtrack. You like I don't love the soundtrack. I'm a kid of the 80s, the member. I'm going to give you an E-plus for this one as well, actually. Uh, I, think, yeah. I wasn't I expecting that. I think I we're on point. I thought when I you and me disagreed on certain things on it, I thought I won't get an E-plus uh, for think, this. Yeah, I think ultimately we we might disagree on whether we think the movie's ridiculous or not, but you cover all the points well enough. So, mm. so yeah, yeah. So we're going to take a short break just now. When we return, um, we're going to be doing the the next one, which is Friday the Thirteenth Part Seven, The New Blood, um, and uh, we'll, I'll be able to tell you where the name comes from when we actually record that one. But uh, yeah, you're going to hear the trailer for that movie, and we're going to be right back after this. <laughs> You're listening to the podcast under the stairs. This is the one you've been waiting for. What's happening to me? Your psychokinesis and these delusions. No, you're not listening to me! The one you've been asking for. Hey, Tina, isn't this the way they wear their jackets back in the mental hospital? (laughs) Concentrate. Concentrate, Tina! Dying for. You people give me the creeps. Okay, you big hunk of a man, come and get me. Jason (laughs) is back. But this time, someone is waiting. 
Welcome back. So you've just heard the trailer for movie number three on this Baz v Horror. Um, Baz is still tackling the the franchise known as Friday the Thirteenth, and uh, we're up to part seven now. Baz, I, I mean, we're almost almost at the end. Even though I think we've still got what's that four films left? I think we've got four left, Duncan. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> don't seem so enthusiastic about it. Baz. I know. I listened, I'm not honestly. I'm fine with it. But the medical of modern medicine, that uh, vicious cold that I was struck <laughs> down so suddenly with, has disappeared in the last two three minutes. So uh, I'm fighting fit again. I'm ready to take these fuckers on. Oh my god, god bless your dedication to continuity um, because the Friday the 13th franchise doesn't have that. Um, so they should have hired me for their continuity, shouldn't they? So, this movie is Friday the 13th, part 7, as dubbed The New Blood from 1988. It was directed by John Carr Billiger and the cast uh, Jennifer Banco, John Ottrin, Susan Blue, Larpart Lincoln, Terry Keisler. Uh, Kevin Spiritus, uh, and lots of other folk, fuck it. Uh, Kane Hodder's in this one. Kane Hodder plays Jason Voorhees. Yeah, the Hodder time. Um, and the synopsis is, Years after Tommy Jarvis chained him underwater at Camp Crystal Lake, Jason Voorhees returns to the campgrounds where he is accidentally released from his prison by a teenager with psychic powers. So, um, <laughs> yeah, which, which, I mean... <laughs> Which, I mean, on, on paper you would be like, really, psychic powers, but then you think, she is fighting against an undead zombie with a machete. Uh, yep. So yeah, let's let's just go with it, Stranger things have happened, don't we? Stranger things have <laughs> Right, so how did you get on with part seven? Well, I'm going to tell you. Um, <laughs> yeah, so as you say, part seven, the new blood. Um, once again, I knew absolutely zero about this film going in. I was aware of this psychic phenomenon. I think I'd seen like a little caption on Netflix or something mm-hmm. said he's brought back for the dead by this psychic girl. And it didn't bode well, I'm not going to lie. Uh, <laughs> I did look on it with a, a certain level of scepticism, shall we say. <laughs> the... Um, the film itself opens with a kind of montage of kills from the previous films overlaid on a kind of extended shot of a symmetry in, in the rain kind of thing. Um, and then the montage slowly changes and it focuses on the end of uh, part six and we see uh, the least impressive of all the Tommy Jarvises. Uh, battling with Jason in the boat and, and finally sinking him down to the bottom of the lake, uh, chained to the, the boulder, as we discussed a wee while ago there. Mm-hmm. Um, interesting thing to note about this opening scene, to my knowledge, I think I'm right in saying that, this was the first time there was a narrator over yeah. the start, is that right? I think so. C- I certainly, think. when this old guy started to, you know, uh, this place has a curse and all this kind of stuff, and... Dawn the Mill, we've not had a narrator before. Yeah, so the, the only other one that was kind of similar to that is the Campfire Ghost Story, but that's an actual sequence from. Yeah, from the film. Yeah, yeah. so I think, yeah, I think you may be right. I think this might be the first time we actually get an outside voice kind of yeah. covering Grimmed. And um, and he does mention the death curse, Ralph's famous death curse from oh. the first couple Did of Did you well up? 
I did. There was a certainly, certainly a lump in my throat, if not my trousers. Um, and at the end of the, the sort of narration, he says, you know, Jason's still at the bottom of the lake waiting. Bam, bam, bam. The, the credits kind of thing. So the film proper starts with a sort of shot of Jason under the water again, chained to the thing. Um, and he's looking fairly fresh, it's got to be said. He doesn't look <laughs> particularly decomposed or anything at this point. Um, and the, the camera sort of moves up and we're out of the water and we're up to the lake house and there's we hear some parents arguing quite abusively. The woman's accusing the guy of being drunk and you hear a kind of as if he's hit her kind of thing, mm. you know. Um, and then a young girl who is called Tina, um, she's obviously their child and she's quite upset. And she goes running away out of the house and down the pier and gets in a boat um, and kind of moves out into the centre of the lake a little bit. Um, and her dad comes down, you know, he's worried about her, trying to get her back in, um, and she's really angry and she says, you know, I wish you were dead, and gives them this quite comically stern stare. Mm-hmm as she brings her latent psychic abilities to bear on him and the the water around the boat starts to bubble and then the pier starts moving about and it collapses and it tosses the father into the water where he drowns at the bottom of the lake kind of thing. Um, And I put at this point that the young Tina looks suspiciously like uh, the wife of our comrade (laughs) Dave Buchanan. Looks like a young Leanne Buchanan. I've not. I, the thing is, I didn't get a chance to watch it before we did this recording. This is one I know really well. I've seen this movie, fuck knows how many times, yeah. but I could not picture that. And I'm going to actually have to sit down and check that out now, uh, yeah, just because, just to see how. Because along with you, Duncan, there's only about two people will actually find that funny. Obviously, <laughs> <laughs> nobody else knows Dave's wife. Yeah, and Dave's <laughs> not going to watch the movie, so yeah. Uh, so it's just me and you, really. <laughs> Corey, your wife. So three. Let's just go with that. In fact, we'll lie, we'll say my wife watches this <laughs> Anyway, <laughs> rushing on. So, I initially I thought that this was the, the young psychic girl, and it is, but what I didn't realise was it then jumps forward in time. Mm-hmm. Um, straight after the death of the father, you see Tina waking up in the car, and she's like a young adult, um, and she's in the car with her mum. And they're basically driving back up to this lake house, obviously this is a number of years down the line, and they're going to, see a doc- going to meet a doctor, Cruz, up yeah. there, um, and it becomes apparent that she spent quite a lot of time in a kind of mental institution, a la the young Tommy Jarvis. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. And this Doctor Cruz fellow has been doing a lot of work there, kind of thing. Um, and they're going back to this lake house to see if they can get to the bottom of the issues that she's having, and she's having these visions and stuff like that. Um, they get to the house. There's, there's some neighbour kids uh, milling about, looking all teenagery and stuff like that. Um, <laughs> the doctor's there waiting. Um, he's a creepy man. He really is. Doctor, he's a Doctor Cruz, isn't he? He makes my fucking skin crawl, man. Yeah. Um, and I'm fairly sure before things go south for him, I'm fairly sure he's looking to finger Tina's mom. <laughs> um, there's there's a scene just not not long after they get to that lake house, and I'm thinking, aye, you're going to see his cruise missile before this film's out. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Oh, you like that? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Anybody who reads my tweets will be familiar with that joke, but it's too good not to use again. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to say just now, uh, I, I did, I wasn't following it live because I was doing another show, but I did check out your tweets today, and um, I just want to applaud the participation of uh, of some listeners, including yep. Jerry Esposito, who um, was was guiding you through 
your your disbelief at the lack of titty quota in this movie. Yeah, yeah, Jer, Jer's chipped in in a couple of the movies recently, actually, he's been been tweeting in, um, and somebody else on our Facebook page as well had mentioned, uh, Mark, Mark Ball um, had, had spoken about the, the editing issues in this film, which will yeah. come on in a wee while, kind of thing. Um, yeah, so again, we've, we've been introduced to a couple of the, the these teens that are in a kind of cabin next to the lake house, Um including a very swarthy, wholesome-looking young gentleman by the name of Nick, who will feature quite heavily later on. Um, inside the house, uh, the crazy Dr. Cruz is basically trying to get uh, Tina to move a matchbook with her mind. Mm-hmm. Um, she appears to have these psychokinetic powers, as he refers to them. Um, and she manages to do this, but only when she gets angry with him because he pisses her off kind of thing um, on purpose I think he's trying to evoke a, a kind of reaction from yeah. her um, and, and the match is burst into flames as well um, there's then a very gratuitous scene with a young couple making out in a van which has no bearing on anything at all <laughs> um, Tina gets quite upset with the doctor because it's, it's very apparent very early on this man is an a, a arsehole of the highest calibre <laughs> um, and she gets very upset she runs off down the pier um, and she has a, a kind of flashback thing on the pier to her dad drowning Yeah. Um, and I'm not sure whether this whether it's what she was trying to do or whether it was a reaction to how upset she was but basically she kind of attempts to or inadvertently tries to bring him back to life using her psychic powers. Yeah. But of course she misses <laughs> some kind of way and these powers fall upon the Jason who's, who's doing there and he's all half decomposed and fucked looking by this point. Um, and, he, and she brings Jason back to life and he comes back up to the surface. He bursts out the surface like a something out an old spice advert um, and she faints. Um, and we see him coming out the water and at this point I've got to say the the incarnation of Jason in this movie is my favourite so far I think he looks absolutely awesome in this film because he's kind of half decomposed now you can see his spine through his back the mask has been damaged again and you can kind of see the side of his face and he's got that whole you know jawbone thing going on you've seen a lot of the zombie things and that now kind of thing so he looked totally badass yeah. in this and he also wears the chain that he was in prison by around his neck like a like a really cool fucking flavour flave do you know what I mean <laughs> real bitching flavour flave uh, a tendency FYI um, yes. this particular Jason is the Jason Voorhees that I have tattooed on me I thought so and yes. do you know that actually went through my head because mm-hmm. if I'm right in thinking your tattoo shows the damaged mask at the it side, does, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah, it, yeah, it shows the damaged mask and it shows the, the kind of gnarly jaw underneath it. So, yeah. Yeah, Check this is, me picking up and shit like this, man. Yeah, I've, I've never, had any, never had any doubts in my mind that you'd be picking I up and shit like that. Own this franchise, man. <laughs> yeah, own it. <laughs> so, you uh, you kind of do, really. You pay for Netflix, so... <laughs> <laughs> on a lease basis. Um, yeah, so anyway, so obviously the daft Tina inadvertently brings Jason back to life. Um, she comes to... Jason appears not to have molested in her any way, shape or form, and she runs back into the house to tell her mum and the doctor uh, about this figure. She doesn't know who he is at this point, obviously. just She knows it wasn't her dad. Mm-hmm. Um, but they seem to think that 
it's been some kind of hallucination over brought on by the guilt of having killed her father kind of thing blah yeah. blah blah um we then cut to a, a hapless couple in the woods um whose car has broken down um and they are heading to a party which turns out to be the party at the neighboring house where all of these you know nubile looking young teens are hanging out kind of thing um talking about wholesome neighbor nick has now gone through and invited Tina over to the party, so she's going to the party. We cut back to the couple in the woods, and it turns out the guy out of this couple is the kind of guest of honour. It's him that they're throwing this surprise party for. And his girlfriend who's with him um, had arranged all this kind of thing. Anyway, the two of them got off very quickly by Jason uh, in the woods with a couple of tent pegs. Um... So Tina arrives at the party with Nick and we meet a few of the other teens. Um, they're quite the motley crew. We have an oddball sci-fi dork with a fetish for kind of early 50s German military wear. <laughs> um, we have an uptight preppy dork who is just going to ruin the movie for me. A couple of love-struck tweens who are they're, they're a couple of odd-looking girls actually to be <laughs> Not to come across like a sexist prick, they're, they're quirky looking, um, and they have a total fucking lady hard on for um, the, the stoner party animal idiot. Um, God only knows why, because he's the least attractive specimen on the planet. And there's also one that I just call the bitch, whose name is Melissa. Yeah, um, and she's a hella bitch. Um, so yes, yeah, so we get introduced to these various ones that there, there might be. Oh, and there's 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 some mild eighties racism in this movie, and there's a there is a, a black couple, an African American couple in this, mm-hmm. who they're they're clearly put there to bring in some kind of ratio. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? They hardly get mentioned. They hardly appear in it. There's no kind of introduction to them. They just appear kind of a magic, and obviously they're a couple because you couldn't possibly intermix the races. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> so yes, yeah, so we have the token African American couple as well. Um, and as Tina's kind of getting introduced to them, she has one of these visions, and it it's a vision of the boy that's just been killed in the woods, and she yes. sees him getting killed by Jason, but it looks like it's happening in the kitchen, kind of thing. Uh, she freaks out, runs back home, tells the adults, and basically they don't believe it again. Um. We then cut away to another couple who, on my first watching, I thought was the ones that had been cavorting in the van, but it's not. It's a completely unrelated couple who are just out camping in the woods, basically. Um, a very, very randy girl and her kind of obtuse boyfriend who doesn't really realise how randy his girlfriend is. Um, but what he does have is a shiny new machete. Yeah. Love um, those machetes, Baz. Love yeah, those machetes. that's what every, every Friday film needs. Um, so the the Randy camper sends him off into the woods to get wood for the fire and immediately starts stripping off in in the tent um, in anticipation of coming back and getting a right good fucking scene too Um, unfortunately for her her boyfriend gets basically well no he gets the whole hand through the back grabbing the heart kind of kill and he's off very quickly She's then in the tent and she, she utters the, 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 there's a kind of immortal line, um, what are you waiting on, big boy, come and get me, or something like that. 
Yeah. Uh, thinking it's her boyfriend, of course. It's not. It's Jason who comes through the side of the tent where boyfriend's machete. But rather than go for the easy kill with the machete, she hides inside her sleeping bag because oh, that's going yeah. to help. And then Jason. <laughs> And this is what this was my favourite bit in the film. He grabs the top of it, right? So she's trapped in this new, like a bag, kind of like a shopping bag, mm-hmm. and he just drags her out and fucks her right off a tree <laughs> in this sleeping bag. It's just a tremendous kill scene. It's 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 like uh, let me let me put things into perspective here. Um, this is not the only time you're going to see a sleeping bag death before this franchise is out. All right. This is my favourite. Um, mm. It's it's not the best one. The best one comes in a um, in the middle actually. Uh, but to me, this is one of my favourite kills in the entire franchise. Just because I think how crazy must you be to to pen the phrase Jason picks up the woman trapped in the <laughs> sleeping bag and fucks her off a tree. Right, I mean, it's. <laughs> It's just, it's just one of the most inventive things ever. And it, but, however, Buzz, and we will do this after the show. I'm going to show you a clip, um, which is my favourite sleeping bag death in a horror movie of all time. And FYI, it's not in a Friday the Thirteenth movie. I'm living for that moment, Duncan. <laughs> I'm living for that moment. Um, <laughs> yeah, so she gets fucked off the tree. Yeah, so she gets battered off the tree. One fell swoop, bush dead, and. As I say, I'm going to come on and talk about the killers and the edit in this film later on. The thing I think that was really good about this kill is it, you don't see it because she's in the bag and you basically see her kind of bloodied head come out the bag after yeah. it. So it didn't suffer the way a lot of the kills in this film did from some very poor editing, which as I say, we're going to talk about shortly. I've also mm-hmm. noted here that to me, Jason seems a lot angrier and more vicious in this film. Yeah, there's, there's I mean, a... Obviously, yeah. he's not the nicest guy in the world. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? <laughs> but it would appear that about six to seven years of decomposing and getting eaten by fish has just soured the man. Aye. Um, and he, he's really quite raging about everything now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Not just his mum. He's just pissed off about everything now. Do you know he's, what I mean? He's up there with um, with uh, Friday 4 in terms of just like how mean he is as a character. And yeah. Friday 4, Ted White plays him in a very menacing way, the walk and all the rest. Uh-huh. And this one, he just... There's there's no there's no fucking around with Jason in this one. If you're in front of him, you're going to die, and chances are you're going to die in a pretty fucking horrible way. I think a lot of as well is, is aided by the fact... this see this jawline thing? You can almost see him kind of clench his teeth. Yeah. As if he's putting real effort into this, do you know what I mean? Yeah, there's almost you like get a, a little facial sort of expression, yeah, a uh, kind of snarl. Mm-hmm. So while you don't very often get any facial expressions off him, you get a hint of it in this film because of the mask, which I, I think is very good actually, and added a little bit to it for me. Mm-hmm. Um, next morning, uh, the party kids are basically wondering where these other kids have got to kind of thing. The wholesome neighbour Nick is out walking with Tina. Um, she tells him about her dad. Nasty bitch Melissa is following them and overhears her confessions about the the, the having spent time in a mental institution yeah. and she sees the two of them kissing and becomes insanely jealous. Uh, and and you get the whole thing, she like stands on a twig and they turn around and she ducks down behind a tree. And but thankfully she's perfectly camouflaged in her bright turquoise leisure wear <laughs> and diamante encrusted gogo boots. So uh, they don't see her. 
Not that that's any kind of plot hole. Oh um, my god, what? Back at the house, the, the party kids decide they're going to get their smoke on. Or, well, little stoner party animal guy decides he's going to get his smoke on. Um, and the the two kind of love-struck tweens that fancy him get a little bit of friction going between them because they're fucking struggling to get into his stoned little pants. Um, the, the bitch Melissa starts making fun of Tina about the mental hospital kind of thing, and Tina then breaks the pearl necklace thing where yeah. powers. Um, Tina wants to go home. The, the sorry, she, she goes back to the lake house and tells the doctor and her mum that she wants to leave. She wants to go back home. The doctor won't let her. Um, starts shouting at her, and then she <laughs> she throws a telly at him with her mind, <laughs> which I quite liked. Um, and her mum says, "No, that's that. We're leaving. You're not helping her, kind of thing, you know." Um, then the, the annoying preppy guy and his girlfriend, who looks like a slutty Anthea Turner. They go skinny dipping <laughs> down down to the lake. Again, one for our UK listeners. <laughs> she's she's got an uncanny resemblance to the lovely Anthea Turner, although slightly sluttier. Well, a lot sluttier. But, oh, I don't know what Anthea's like personally. Do you know what I mean? But certainly her TV persona's not very slutty. Oh god, Baz, honestly. <laughs> um, fucking killing me. You. So the the two of them go skinny dipping. Although they attempt to she uh, Gets her kit right off. We get a little, a little hint of a sort of side boob there and a tiny little bit of vagina in the water. Mm-hmm. But other than that, eh, not too much. Um, but it's, a lesser before... known, it's a lesser known Deep Purple song, by the way. What's that? Vagina in the water. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. I should have <laughs> used that. Um, before he has a chance to get into the water, though, Jason kills him with a well-placed axe right to the face and I say well-placed because it literally turns his face into a bloody vagina oh yeah you go back and look at that it's, it's, it's quite well done his face looks like a fanny um, <laughs> and then she's in the water she comes up clears her eyes sees vagina face lying dead in the beach kind of thing you know and starts screaming and then Jason pops out the water next to her um, which is quite good as well and he drags her down to her death kind of thing Um Back at the party, Jason's kind of now made his way up to the house. Um, earlier on, Tina had seen a spike sort of impaled into one of the walls. We find out that the doctor had taken that and hidden it to kind of try and push it over the edge and everything here. What's he up to? Mm-hmm. I clearly wasn't been very insightful at this point in my viewing experience. <laughs> um, he's off out of the woods and finds a body with a matching spike kind of thing um, comes back and catches Tina's mum going through his files he's really angry about this um, she's not happy about how he's treating her daughter kind of thing uh, Tina overhears them arguing he says he's going to have her committed kind of thing and she drives off in a car um, and while she's driving off she has this vision of Jason killing her mum in the middle of the road and she kind of crashes the car and runs off into the woods Back at the party, one of the love struck tweens who has not hooked up with Stoner Guy, one of them has <laughs> the the plainer looking of the two ones hasn't. Um but she's got herself all dolled up, she's not taking no shit, she's gonna go and get her man 
once she brings him out his fucking cannabis and just coma, I'm assuming. <laughs> um, and she's gone and got herself all dolled up, she's got the makeup on and the massive fucking 80s hair and, and this wee fucking 80s looking kind of dress thing. She sets off to find him and for some reason she decides she's going to go out and wander about the woods shouting his name, rather mm. than maybe checking the bedroom where he's riding her best pal. <laughs> uh, so she's out there... Uh, Jason catches up and chases her through the woods and they end up in this kind of tool shed thing in the woods she's trying to hide and there's a very iconic uh, scene here Mm -hmm. uh, which I'm pretty sure is the first cinematic experience uh, exposure of Spanx or (laughs) this uh, women's concealing underwear you know those those flesh coloured elastic pant things they wear to keep themselves all tucked in because there's a great bit she ducks down to crawl under this this wall thing and you see her spanks I was straight away I rewound it so my wife could see her look look she's wearing spanks look and I mean this is 1988 I mean she was ahead of the curve on that one you've got to see <laughs> she was ahead do you know what I mean <laughs> so hats off there so there's an interesting wee bit of cinema history there first time on screen Oh. Um, unfortunately, her her supportive underwear helps her none at all, and she, Jason takes her out with a hand scythe. Yeah. Um, and again, this was one of the I was aware of this editing, but this is the one that really hit me. I think um, she's got her back against the wall. Jason's arm smashes through and grabs her. Then the other arm smashes through, and he's got this big kind of hooked hand scythe, and you mm-hmm. see it start to swing in, and then it cuts to outside and you hear her scream. So yeah. you do not see anything, and it's really apparent through this whole film. Uh, and now I know Mark Ball had mentioned on the Facebook page. Jerry mentioned it in the tweets while I was watching. Uh, it suffered very, very badly. This film, yeah, uh, the hands you, of the, got, the editors, kind of thing. You've got to remember who was who was president at this time. This is during the Reagan era. Yeah, big Ronnie. Yeah, and um, movies were just cut to fuck. Horror yeah. movies, just uh, all of them, all of them towards the end of the eighties are all. Pretty much torn apart. Um, yeah. So I think. Um, yeah. So it, it ruined the vast majority of the kills in this film, mm-hmm. with, with the, the sort of glaring exceptions of the likes of the sleeping bag one and stuff like that. But all of the ones where you would have seen something, it, it, it's, it's gone. But I also, on my second watching tonight, I actually noticed that there's some quite bad continuity things in it as well. The mm-hmm. the African American couple appear almost out of nowhere they're clearly having a big argument about something and you don't know what it's obviously been filmed in that but it's been chopped out in the editing kind of thing you know um the doctor i'll come on i mentioned in a wee minute um tina finds files in the doctor's desk relating to jason so it's like he is my initial thoughts were he's, he's trying to exploit her powers to find out what her powers are and kind of almost experiment on her it would appear he has some kind of passing knowledge and interest in Jason Voorhees as well, mm-hmm. but it's not very well explained, and I'm assuming it was explained better, but it was lost in the editing as well. Yeah, Do you know yeah. what I mean? So there, there's a lot of this stuff. It's not just the kills that are ruined. A lot of this film is ruined by shitty editing, I've got to say. Mm-hmm. Um, where are we? Yeah, so, uh, plain Jane's been off with the hand scythe. Uh, Dr. Cruz and the mum are out in the woods. They find Tina's crashed car, but she's not in it. Um, we then cut back to the party, and literally everybody's riding. Everybody everywhere that's still alive is doing it in this house. Now, Jason turns up, 
the African-American couple, they're out in the van. Again, mildly racist. Let's kick the coloured folk outside. You can go do it in the van, you're not doing it in the house. We as white folk, do you know what I mean? <laughs> God bless Ronnie Reagan. Um, the guy, they're, they're banging away like hammer and tongs in this van. Um, and there's a kind of knocking outside, oh, it's Jason. They think it's the guy that's not turned up for the party because they don't know he's dead yet. The guy gets out the car, goes looking for him. He gets his head crushed. Uh, not the trademark hands on the side of the head crushing. It was a hand under the chin, hand on top of the head. The, the harder of the head crushing moves, I've got to say. Mm-hmm. But Jason burst out that move. Um, <laughs> and then his girlfriend, she's looking for him, sticks her head out the... Uh, the car, the van window to shout on him um, and gets killed with a plastic party horn shoved into her eye and mm-hmm. again that that's gonna, we've never seen that kill before in any of the previous films, it's not just a standard knife but you don't really see any again, yeah. you get a very brief shot just enough to see, oh he stuck it through her eye kind of thing, you know, but that's it um, I also think at one point they get the, her boyfriend's name's Ben I'm pretty sure at one point she calls him Brad and again, <laughs> that got by the editors. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Because I was on the verge of tweeting, Brad, that's the least black name I've ever heard. Mm-hmm. And the next minute she started shouting Ben. I was like, that's fucking weird. So I'm pretty sure that um, she actually shouts the wrong name at one point as well. Um, yeah, so that's the two of them are dead. Uh, what happens next? Yep, so... The, the, Jason then goes in um, sci-fi nerd is the, the bitch Melissa one has taken him upstairs to try and make handsome Nick jealous she then knocks him back rather frustratingly halfway through it um, he goes downstairs um, I, Jason kills the lights goes into the house kills him fairly bluntly the wee stoner guy he's just finished doing the, le- the lesser of the plain girls um, and he's because he's stoned obviously he's got the munchies so he sets off downstairs and gets killed at the fridge mm-hmm. um, and here I've written that the, the kills have been edited to fuck in the film yeah. at this yeah. point I think this is where it really became noticeable because the, the kills are starting to ramp up as well mm-hmm. um, Nick and Tina then find this file that I mentioned earlier on about Jason um, killing people which obviously belongs to the doctor she then realises Jason's this person that she's brought back kind of thing mm-hmm. stoner dude's wee bird goes looking for him we get a very shitty jump scare with a cat in a cupboard there are very few jump scares in this film as well I've got to say yeah um, she then sits down to talk to the cat and sees stoner dude's severed head and then gets launched through a window by Jason um, and I've got to say, it's not a pack. There is a window launching kill in. It was either part three or four. I think maybe three. The, but there's a girl gets thrown through a window, and the stunt was brilliant. Mm-hmm. It was brilliantly done, and I commented yeah. on it quite a lot. It was when I said it was really just to show her panties because she lies there for about five minutes with her knickers <laughs> on show. Uh, this, this. The, the stunt double used in this film was not a patch on the one that was used in that previous one because the, the, the window throwing kill was nothing like it. Yeah, yeah. Um, the, the doctor and mum, they're still in the woods looking for Tina. They then get chased by Jason, who by this point has picked up a kind of long gardening knife, tree lopping implement kind of thing. Mm-hmm. In this latter part of the film, Jason comes up with a plethora of a 
gardening utensils, which he uses for his kills. Which I thought, oh, that's a bit shit. But however, on second watching, I realised that there's a very brief scene in the tool shed with Spank's girl. Mm-hmm. When Jason comes in, there is a very brief shot of a wall with all of these tools on it, hanging up. Oh, right. So J- Jason's obviously going back and retrieving them from there. Yeah. But again... It was only because I was kind of looking for it the second time I watched that I found it kind of thing. It's literally yeah. just as he walks in. But so anyway, this is where he's getting them. So the the doctor and the mum, they kind of run off. Jason goes after them with this big long knife thing. Um, and, and rather tragically, the doctor uses the mother as a human shield. <laughs> she gets that, killed. Yeah, I think that to, to me is just, I mean, we already don't like that character. I think that's genius that that's what that character does because... yeah. Uh, you know, it's totally you, when you look at that character and what he's done in that movie, you just think he's the most reprehensible guy anyway, and then you see him do that and go, "Yeah, that's exactly what that guy would do." Yeah. Um, Tina then comes across him in the woods, sees he's got blood on him, so she runs off. Jason now turns up again uh, with the most vicious-looking hedge trimmer in the world. <laughs> Maybe not a hedge trimmer, like a kind of lawn trimmer. Yeah. big long thing but, but rather than a little spinning cord at the end to get it it has basically a serrated band saw yeah. or disc saw rather on the end of this nobody's ever invented a, a gardening tool <laughs> like that it, it would be banned if we ever made it sure they've clearly created this for this movie anyway he kills the doctor with that and again I'm sure that wouldn't have been an amazing kill but you, you don't, don't see get, anything yeah. really do you don't know get what I mean? benefit Tina then finds her mum and then she sees Jason and she kind of goes after Jason. Um, she starts stumbling into all the other bodies that are hanging in trees and stuff in the woods. Mm-hmm. Um, and then she kind of, her and Jason square off kind of thing in this road and she goes a bit carry at this point and she starts using her psychic powers. Yeah. And she controls the roots of the trees and they kind of drag Jason down into a puddle and then she brings down the power cables from above to electrocute him. Mm-hmm. So he's dead. But he's not dead. No, so she runs off, Jason dead. jumps up. And in this film, rather than throwing somebody through a window at her, Jason jumps through the window himself. Yes. Her. She then goes all carry again, starts barricading the door with her mind powers and start, throws a sofa at him. And then a plant with a head in it. And then, just for good measure, she pulls the roof of the porch down on top of him, so then he's dead. But he's still not dead. <laughs> um... <laughs> She goes back into the house with Nick and Melissa the bitch. And Melissa the bitch gets off to an axe in the doorway because Jason's not really dead yet. Um, but the, 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 this final sequence, I thought, in this film was a bit overdone, I've got to say. It lasts right. nearly 20 minutes. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a bit of the Keystone Cop thing that we saw in uh, part four with Tommy Jarvis and that, um, yep. where... They kind of run up the stairs past Jason and run down the stairs and all that, this kind of nonsense, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, they, so they've headed up the stairs. She drops a light on Jason, which gives him a real fright, and he falls backwards and falls through the stairs, and then he's dead. Right, but he's still not dead. <laughs> he bursts out the bottom of the stairs. I love tries. that. I love that bit, that, that bit when he comes up the stairs, because you know it's going to happen, but you yeah. don't know it's going to happen, but you know it's going to happen. <laughs> Because he's dead, but he's not dead yet. Um, 
he then turns his attentions to Nick and he's sort of throwing Nick. Nick's unconscious and he's putting his foot on his back as if he's about to crush uh, uh, like Nick's spine or something mm-hmm. like that. And then Tina uses her mind powers, but this time she she uses like the straps of his mask to start crushing his head. Yeah, they're elastic. It's not the <laughs> most realistic thing that's ever happened in a Jason Voorhees film. I've got to say. Mm-hmm. But yet, we get treated to some bright yellow and bright green pus coming out his head. Um, and then he turns around and the powers are too much and the mask shatters and we see his face. Yeah. Um, so for the last kind of five minutes or so, we actually see Jason's face, which is longer than I think we've had in most other films. Yes, that's right. Um, but it does slightly concern me uh, about what's going to happen with the mask in the next film. Because the mask is literally in pieces. Mm. Anyway, we'll come on to that. Um, So, yeah, so he survives the head-crushing thing, but then she uses a light flex from the ceiling to hang him uh, and then drop him through a a hole in the floor and he dies. But he's not dead yet. (laughs) Um, And he drags her into the basement and she now uses her powers to douse him in petrol, right? But in the process of dousing him in petrol, gets soaked in petrol herself. Yeah. She then uses her mind powers to open the lit furnace and use the fire to set light to everything around her, including Jason, which is a risky move when you're drenched head to foot in petrol yourself, I've got to say. But ballsy move that it was, it paid off because she doesn't go in fire, but Jason does. Um, And he's running about the basement all aflame and then he collapses dead. Mm Mm-hmm. And her and Nick escape from the house just before it blows up, definitely finally killing Jason. <laughs> who unbelievably is still not dead. <laughs> chases, them, <laughs> chases them down a pier and kind of knocks uh, Nick out the way into a wee rowing boat thing. And Tina's, she can't cope anymore. She's pretty much collapsed because, my God, he died eight times and he's still alive. <laughs> um, and then... <laughs> The weirdest ending of all of these films. Her dead father, who looks a bit like one of the characters from MASH, <laughs> leaps out the water, shattering up through the pier, and does like an arm-flexing move in his sodden, dirty, iron-woolen sweater, and then grabs Jason and drags him down. Mm-hmm. Fucking bonkers. She just goes like, Daddy! And then she kind of passes out. Next morning, there's uh, cops everywhere putting fires out, and the, her and Nick get taken away in an ambulance. They're both okay, and he asks where Jason is, and she says, Oh, he's gone. But there's a bit where the, one of the firemen picks up the mask, and the mask's in pieces, and this is why I'm concerned about what happens with the, mm-hmm. the mask. So, yeah, the ending, I have to say, I thought was mental. <laughs> Absolutely mental. On first watching, I assumed that she had basically used her amazing psychic powers of, uh, not resuscitation, what is it when you bring somebody back for the dead? Uh, reincarnation. Reincarnation, yep. To bring her dad back to life. But on second watching, she seems to get a bit of a fright when he jumps out the water. Yeah. In his wee and sweater. So, I don't really know. It's just a bit mental. Um, and that's the end of the movie. Uh, mm mm-hmm. As for the good things, again, 
like the last couple of films, because this was we're in nineteen eighty eight now, so the, the the cinematography in that is very good. It's, it's a it's a good looking film. This one I've got to say. Mm-hmm. Um, again, the effects are slightly better than the previous ones. You know, as as technology is moving on, the the big plus for me in this was Jason. I think yep. Jason himself in this film was utterly awesome. Looked really good. Really was scary in this. The kind of brooding, foreboding, kind of hulking Jason was gone. He, he is this terrifying zombie from hell type thing now, but mm-hmm. with a kind of intelligence, if you like, a level of intelligence that a zombie wouldn't have. So yes, yeah, so Jason's really, really good in this. On the bad side, one, the ending, I, I really thought it was a bit mental. It may have suffered from the other bad point, which is the editing. The, the editing destroyed this film, in my mind. The kills, for a lot of the time, were non-existent. Mm-hmm. Um, and also, as I said earlier on, it does lead to kind of plot holes and little you know, inaccuracies and continuity and stuff like that, just the way it's been edited. So it may be that there was a better explanation as to how the dad comes back, but we'll never fucking know because we won't see it. Yeah, um, yeah just the, the editing... The you know the censorship, if you like, that was applied to, I think, just destroyed this film. One one thing actually, when I was watching, it, I was convinced I knew the actress that plays the adult, well, the the older Tina from somewhere who's Lar Park Lincoln is her name. Uh-huh. Um, she seems really familiar to me, but actually, when I looked her up on the ever faithful Wikipedia, I don't think she is. She appeared in um, there was another. She had another horror part that you're probably familiar with yeah she was in Freddy's Nightmare in House 2 yeah she's in House 2 um, which is a a fucking brilliant film and it's one that we will eventually get to uh, Freddy's Nightmare is a TV series um, right I see which I've never seen I don't think it officially aired over here to be honest yeah, um, I mean, I, I've not seen any of them, so it can't be that. The only other thing she's in was Knots Landing, which was that weird kind of eighties spin-off for Dallas. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I definitely, unless it, maybe my mum used to watch all that crap, Falcon Crest and all that shit. I don't know if it was maybe a familiar with that, but the, the picture I've got in my head is it's a more modern thing. She must just look like somebody or something like that. Yeah. But I was convinced I knew who she was, and I was quite disappointed that I didn't actually know. For <laughs> very few, I mean, that's me. That's seven now. Yep. And really, with the bacon and the fell dog, are really the only people. Yeah, is that right? They're the only ones that actually went on to anything after these films. Yeah, they, they, they tend to have. I think the dude that played the doctor in this one has been in some things I've seen before. All oh, right. There's a character in the next one. There's a teacher in the next movie who you will know when you see him on the screen. You'll be like, oh, I've seen you in movies before. All right. So out with play. that, no. I, but by this point, it's it's just, uh, and that's kind of. Oh, hold on. the phone. Oh, hold the phone. Hold it. Doctor Cruz, aka yeah. Terry Kaiser. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I don't know how we never get this. Best known for his portrayal of the dead title character in the comedy Weekend at Bernie's. Yeah, He's Bernie. <laughs> He's dead, Bernie. Have you seen Weekend at Bernie's? Yeah, years and years ago. I, I love that movie. That was yeah. fucking brilliant. There you go. Well, there you are. There we go, eh? <laughs> yeah, so um, anything else you want to say about the movie before we take a short break and come back with our final movie review? Uh, no, I don't think so, mate. I think I've said all I need to say. I just want to know my grade now, my friend. Um, yeah, I think once again, you've. I don't think it's... I think you've picked up everything. I think you've made valid points about the, the, the editing... Um, and all the rest there's no way I couldn't give you an A plus for this one you nailed this one 
yeah so um, very well done sir we're going to take one more Thank break uh, we're going to return with our final movie review of this episode of Baz V Horror which is part 8 which has the best trailer out of all of them this is Jason it's a long takes, slog don't <laughs> uh, Jason Takes Manhattan uh, is part 8 and um, yeah it's going to be a whole hell of a lot of fun I can't wait to put this trailer in this episode because every time I hear it I just want to start start spreading the news yeah <laughs> right so we're going to be right back after this <laughs> 72 movies that shocked a nation and made an infamous list, the video nasties. Hi, I'm Duncan McLeish and you can join me and my co-host Andy Blockley as we chat about the 72 films, reviewing them all from the video nasty list live on our podcast. Tell them about it Andy. Okay, in 1982, 20,000 films were seized in London alone because they were too nasty to be watched. Come and find out why. That's right. The show's called Doing the Nasty Podcast. You can find it exclusively on the Horror Delia Network of Podcasts. Come and check us out. Welcome back. So you have just heard the trailer for the final review of this Baz V Horror. Um, this one is the kind of the, the next natural conclusion in the franchise. Um, we'll get to why at the end of it. Um, but this was uh, released in... 1989, it's the 8th part in the franchise, uh, Friday the 13th Part 8, Jason Takes Manhattan, they should put Manhattan in brackets I think, because uh, this isn't New York, <clears throat> anyway, right, uh, so this is Jason Takes Manhattan, it's directed by Rob Hedden, um, it stars, let's check out who's in this movie, uh, Todd Caldicott, Tiffany Paulson, Tim Murkovich, Kane Hodder's back as Jason Voorhees, Jensen Daggett, eh, Peter Mark Rickman, Warren Munson, Fred Henderson, just lots of folk here again. Eh, the synopsis, a passing boat bound for New York, oh my god, eh, pulls Jason Voorhees along for the ride. Look out New York, here comes hell in a hockey mask. So, eh, yeah, I've made this no qualms at all out of the entire franchise. And I... Uh, do I, do I hate this more than the remake? I think I might actually. 
I was watching this movie again this week. Just reminded me of everything I fucking hate about this movie. Oh my god! Yeah, so this is like one of my least favorites. Maybe maybe Virgin from my least favorite. Um, and I warned you, this this one was a rough ride. Um, I read your tweets. Yeah. It seems that you went on the same rough ride I did, Baz. Yep. Um. So, <laughs> yeah, talk us through Jason Takes Manhattan. I will do. I mean, this this fucking this film starts bad. And just it kind of goes downhill for there. The, to me, the warning's right in the title. See when this is Jason Takes Manhattan. Yes. I thought, right, see if there's a show tune at any point. If he tap dances at any point in this film, <laughs> then there'll be hell to pay. Do you know what I mean? Um, <laughs> like, hell to pay worse than Luke Skywalker if he doesn't make that ridge by sun up kind of thing. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Well, his uncle going to kick off that kind of hell to pay. Um, yeah, so Jason takes Manhattan. I, I think what kept me going was this, we're, we're near the end, we're so near the end I can taste it now, do you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, but this, this franchise I... just won't die. Like Jason itself, the, fi- the, the franchise itself is the ultimate metaphor, it won't fucking die either. I mean, if, if, we're, if we're being, at this point anyway, if we're being innocent bystanders, looking at the the score count, you are enjoying more than you are disliking. Yes. However, this movie pretty much shits on all the, it really shits on all the really good ones yeah. from a great height. I mean, before, I, I don't I, want to steal your thunder, but how, uh, how, like, how a cruise ship makes its way from Crystal Lake, which is a lake, um, you know what I mean? A yep. lake to, to supposed quote-unquote Manhattan. Um, I mean, that's who writes that? Yeah, who's sitting there? Let, let's, when you're saying cruise ship. I am air quoting frantically, <laughs> right? Because it's halfway between a trawler and the Calmac ferry. <laughs> right, for, for, for those non Scottish people, Caledonian McBrain is a ferry company that operates ferries on the west coast of Scotland between the mainland and the various islands. And I used to have to, well, I didn't live on an island, I lived on a peninsula, which is a penis shaped penis-like shaped promontory of land that sticks out like a flaccid cock off the west coast of Scotland. Um, and I used to have to get a ferry across and it was Calmac ferries and they, wo- they bore a startling resemblance to the, the SS Lazarus or whatever his goddamn name was. Anyway, right, let, let's go yeah. on with this and get this son of a bitch put to yeah, bed let's, here. let's put this one to bed, yeah. Um, it opens up, curiously, that there's no flashback at the start of this film. We get a kind of aerial shot of Manhattan and we get that kind of late night radio DJ announcer type guy coming at you live from the heart of the city. That kind of crap, this dialogue over the top of it. And we're treated to some <laughs> cliche slash borderline racist scenes <laughs> of the street life in Manhattan. Gangs of toughs, I believe they would be called. There's a yuppie gets mugged by a guy in a berry. Fashion conscious. <laughs> street thugs of Manhattan. Uh, there's subways, there's junkies. that kind of set in this urban jungle type scene with a kind of radical 80s soundtrack in the back, background. It just is... <laughs> the the, the, the is actually kind of amusing in a... In a like I say, borderline racist type way. Um, a lot of, a lot of the, the, the street toughs are of ethnic origin. <laughs> do you know what mm-hmm. I mean? Well, oh my God, well, you couldn't have a white man mugging somebody, do you know what I mean? Um, we then end up back at Crystal Lake, well, kind of like at Crystal Lake, but it's a fairly major sea terminal at this point as well. Yeah. 
Um, oh no, tell, yeah. I tell us, I've, I've jumped on slightly, but we're yeah, back yeah. at Crystal Lake initially. Crystal Lake and, first, and yeah. This kind of leisure boat thing turns up and there's a young couple in it kind of making out. And in the mother of all convenient tie-ins, the radio DJ announces that the uh, the senior graduating class of Crystal Lake High School is going to New York for a graduation party. Who the hell would say that on the radio? Do you know what I mean? It's just nonsense. Anyway, in four minutes, 23 seconds, we see the first pair of breasts right enough. So at this point, Jason takes Manhattan, still had me on side. Yeah. Right, that's, that's not even five minutes in, and we've got nipples. Right, so I'm on board at this point. Hats off to it. Um, the, the male half of this beast with two backs goes outside to drop anchor. Um, and then when he comes back in, he kind of tells his girlfriend about the camp murders and basically the, the legend of Jason Voorhees, which is obviously what is used instead of the flashback this time. It's fairly ropey and it's fairly sketchy. It doesn't really fill in an awful lot about it. Um, and we actually see that there's kind of flashback scenes and we actually see the young Jason drowning like before he became the weird wee guy that lived in the water kind of thing, um, which I think is the first time I've seen that. Um, we then see Jason's body, the, the adult Jason, zombie Jason, what the hell we're calling him these days, trapped under a bit of pier wreckage at the bottom of the lake where he ended up at the end of the last one, basically. Um, but in a calamitous twist of fate, the anchor that has been dropped by the Randy High School graduate um drags along the bottom and severs uh, like a high voltage power cable that's just lying about the bottom of this lake um, and as we all know high voltage electricity particularly when conducted through water brings Jason Voorhees back to life it does yeah it does indeed so does, once again yeah. we see him reanimated by a, a one in a billion <laughs> chance, <laughs> chance of electrocution <laughs> It, uh, it's a young Randy Jim he, goes out, he hears noises he goes out to check it out um, and he then comes back in <laughs> dressed as Jason to uh, freak out his, his frankly hot girlfriend um, and he kind of jumps back in with a mask on and a trick knife and pretends her to stab her in the stomach and she throws her head back as if she's dying before she realises this be spring loaded knife thing and it's actually just an idiot boyfriend Um the real Jason, however, picks up this mask, which is how he gets it back after the last one. Like we didn't know the, the the mask appeared to be destroyed at the end of the last one. This is how he gets it back because this moron was walking about with one. Is that a, a satisfactorily um, interesting premise for him getting it? Because you you were a bit dubious at the end of the last one was, of yeah. how you thought he was he was either not going to have the mask in your opinion. Or how he was going to just randomly stumble upon another hockey mask. Or just... alternatively, would they, would they just forget that it was destroyed? Because let's be honest, they've done stuff like that in the past. <laughs> well, um, well did, this, did this did this uh, did this pass with uh, a bad seal of approval? Nah, and, and plot writing. No, nah, not really. What annoyed me the most as well is this this rep like a mask doesn't have the eaten away bit at the side that we saw in the previous film, which I actually really liked the appearance of Jason in the last film. Yeah, it was gnarly. Um, yeah, and, and this didn't tie into that either, so nah, they just they screwed up. But it's not the worst thing about this film, believe me. Um, 
Anyway, then Jason then proceeds to kill this pair with a spear gun. I'm not really going to in a great deal of depth, but the girl, she manages to initially escape and hides in a forward hatch. And then we see Jason impale her through the hatch with this kind of little trident spear gun thing. Um, and he, he, it's the slowest kill, I think, in any of these films so far. It, in fact, it could almost have been, the way it's filmed could almost have been done for part three, the 3D one. Because it just very slowly approaches her from above kind of thing. And it's kind of reminiscent of the, 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 the brilliant washing pole scene at the start of part three. Um, the only other point worth talking about these initial couple of kills is the, is the young guy, Jim, uh, basically gives the longest death throws of, of any kill so far. He really milks this. You can tell this wee guy, he was chuffed to get in a movie, probably the first one of his career, and he was going to make the most of his on-screen time. So he drags out his death rattle for a good five minutes or so. Um, the next day... We see students start to gather at this kind of dock that has now appeared in Crystal Lake or somewhere nearby or something, wherever. Um, they have, and they're going on this trip that was mentioned by the radio DJ. Um, and so it's very industrial looking, this port. It just doesn't fit in with this at all, in my mind. And as I say, there's this dilapidated ghost ship type thing which they appear to have managed to rent to take them up to New York. Um, we see there's a young girl who comes in, gets a lift in from one of her teachers, the girl's called Rennie and she turns she, she turns out to be the, uh, the final girl um, and it's interesting I've actually noticed in, in the past couple of films there's no guessing as to who the final girl is like there was in the earlier films Yeah, it's, not from the start anyway, yeah. not from the outset I think about halfway through you have a rough idea who who's likely to be the one at the end. Um, and this girl, Rennie, it's obviously for the, the start here, she's going to be the final girl. She gets a gift given to her from this teacher, this over-friendly female teacher, and it's a pen allegedly used by Stephen King, like a fountain pen thing, which we'll talk about very briefly later on. Um, this over-friendly, slightly lesbian teacher is acting as a chaperone in this cruise. Rennie's nervous about going. The head teacher guy who's there turns out to be her legal guardian. It's her uncle, Charles. Um, and he features quite heavily in the film. Um, there is a weird, slightly senile ship's captain who likes mm -hmm. to go by the name of Admiral, despite the fact he's basically you know, ferrying about some kind of clapped out big trawler thing. Anyway, he likes to think he's in the Navy or something like that. Um, he then bizarrely gives charge of this ship to his teenage son, Sean, who is one of the students that's basically trying to get high and maybe finger somebody on this thing. And the captain basically says, you're in charge, son, take us out, which he fails to do. And the captain gets really annoyed. It's the weirdest father-son relationship I've seen in quite a while. Um, and then just before they cast off, Big Jason jumps out the water and shimmies up the the chain of the anchor as, as if it was all in a day's work to him. How did he get there, Buzz? Who knows, Duncan? Really, who cares? <laughs> who cares? <laughs> Can't even be bothered. <laughs> um, his ability to tra his ability to traverse large areas of water <laughs> really comes to the fore later on, right? So we're just going to skip by this. We're going to throw my bone and ignore it at this stage, right? Because we'll talk about it plenty later on. Uh, there is also a rather demented deckhand slash toilet cleaner guy 
Um, who's obviously their attempt at Crazy Ralph. I wish they would give up on the Crazy Ralph thing. I really do, because it's an insult to the memory of the great man, to be quite honest. <laughs> and he's asking on if this voyage is doomed. Shut up. How would you know? Honestly, if you're going to do this, go and lie down in the middle of the road like the guy in Bart 3. At least he'd shit going on, do you know what I mean? You're just a clown, yeah. mate. Forget it. Um, and also, it's maybe, well, it's not really worth noting, but Rennie has brought a dog with her. Now, where's our neckerchief? <laughs> so they, they cast off and the kids are partying like it's 1999 it's got to be said um, and for a dilapidated trawler slash passenger ferry it has a this, this boat has a dithering array of entertainment for everybody um, there is shuffleboard there is a full scale discotheque uh, there's there's guns <laughs> with, clay, with clay pigeons that you so you can give shotguns to the drunk teenagers to fire. Um, and there's also kids getting off with each other left, right, and saying there's like Sodom and Gomorrah on the high seas. Um, Sean goes to talk to um, Rennie, so this is the ship's captain and, and the, the final girl. They, they get talking, and he has. Uh, Brought her a necklace present of the Statue of Liberty. He's very clearly hot for her. She's quite repressed and nervous all the time and a wee bit kind of fragile and damaged kind of thing. Well, we're then treated to a floppy-haired audio-visual audio geek from the school um, whose big thing in life is to go everywhere with a video camera. And obviously this isn't the days of these GoPro things that you can wear strapped to your palm or your forehead. It's like a full-scale, massive VHS video thing with microphones and zoom lenses and that. It must weigh like four and a half stone. And he can't go anywhere without this. <laughs> when we first meet him, he's filming a Joan Jett lookalike who's up on top of the boat playing a guitar solo through what looks like a karaoke amp on her hot pink a Gibson Flying V guitar. It's beyond ludicrous. <laughs> it's like she's like a cross between Joan Jett and Leather Tuscadero from uh, the old Happy Days. Remember the character that we what's her face played? What's her name? Down at Devilgate Drive. Susie Quattro. Like yeah. Cheap goth Susie Quattro ripoff. Um yeah, so he's kind of filming some weird music video with her, who has for some reason decided to bring this very expensive guitar wear on what is essentially a fucking booze cruise. Um, the weird head teacher guy keeps trying to get Rennie to go home for some reason, saying, oh, she's scared of something. Right? It turns out she's scared of like, water, like swimming. Right? Come on, she's on a massive boat, mate. She's probably going to be all right. Down in the engine room, Joan Jett's rocking out again. Jason, clearly appalled by her fashion sense and haircut, legends at the death with the flying tee, which is a fucking shame, because other than the colour choice, it was a lovely looking guitar. Um, Rennie is then, she's done in her room and she psychs herself up, she's going to go and get some action. She's going to you know, get her head out the sand, get out there, get some life experiences, but then she has a vision of a wee boy drowning outside her kind of porthole window thing um, and obviously well you kind of assume this is supposed to be the, inf the infant Jason drowning so she, she experiences these visions going all the way through it it then cuts to some boxing in a gym which is obviously another form of entertainment they've got and some of the school kids have got together and decide they're going to bludgeon each other in a kind of shite fight club way um, 
and, and there's a, a black fella, he wins the box and he's clearly the, 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 the hard dude. He's a bit of a boxer. He is a bit of a boxer. And he's, he's eye-cutting about with his tracksuits on, so he obviously fancies himself as a bit of an athlete. If, if only there was some way, Baz, that we could somehow link that in later on into this movie. Well, um, don't know what you could mean. <laughs> <laughs> okay, don't confuse me with your metaphors, McLeish. <laughs> your subtle subplots. Um, yeah, while they're doing this, they've been watched from above by two horny fucking adolescent American girls um, who we then see later on back in the room doing blow uh, and one of them is the prom queen and there's the other one is our slightly submissive pal uh, the Rennie's looking for the dog and the prom queen then <laughs> promptly throws her overboard which is you've got to say is a fairly harsh high school prank do you know what yep. I mean for somebody that, like myself that did use commercial boats quite a lot in my youth, pushing folk off was frowned upon quite <laughs> quite sternly in the Caledonian McBrain offices. They did not appreciate you pushing people off the boat into open water. So, yeah, as far as high school pranks go, this one's fairly shit. Um, in fact, I don't think she's throwing it off yet. I think she's maybe just talking about it at this point anyway, right? It's just all very boring. Um, one of them, who I've so little interest in, I'm not even sure who it was, but one of them gets killed in a sauna with a hot rock being pushed into his stomach. Yes. Which showed a an attempt at, you know, you know, it's like you'd mentioned before in one of the previous ones, they do try and push the envelope with the kills a wee bit to try and change these films because yeah. let's be honest these films are all borderline identical so they try and you know line things up with the kills this I thought was fairly novel it wasn't very well executed I've got to say but it was a nice concept um, I, I personally think it would have been funny if Jason had molested him a wee bit because he's lying there with a towel over his face and can't see what's going on I if Jason maybe slipped a wee finger up the back door that would have been funny oh, you know, just before he killed him <laughs> <laughs> uh, anyway, maybe that's just me. That's just lack of sleep, mate, man, things like that, boy. Oh, God. Um, yeah, so, sorry, so then at this point, the bitchy prom queen pushes Rennie off the boat into the water, right? But she manages to get rescued. Um, while she's in the water, though, she has another uh, vision of the wee boy kind of drowning. A big Sean jumps in and saves her at this point. And then the deckhand, the crazy Ralph character, tells everybody that Jason's back, they're all going to die, fucking whatever. Um, back at her, but her, like at her cabin, Rennie's having more visions, there's blood coming out the taps, and a wee kid comes out the mirror. And it's obviously it's the same kid, but each time she sees him, he starts to get a little bit more mongrel-looking kind of thing, do you know what I mean? He's not quite right-looking. His face is starting to warp a wee bit, a bit more like Jason. Um the prom queen then hatches this plan uh, she's obviously still at hand in some kind of final biology project and she hatches this plan like a kind of honey trap to catch the frankly really geriatric head teacher by coming on to him with pictures of organs painted all over her fucking naked body and the wee AV geek is filming them because he's trying to get into her pants as well and thinks by helping her out she's going to which he's, he's not going to because he's ridiculous looking here Almost identical to the hair I was sporting at that time, it must be added. Um, so, yeah, she's going to blackmail the teacher. Teacher leaves. Um, 
And then she kicks the AV geek out, he ain't getting any kind of thing. And then Jason comes after her because it's her time to get it because she's been a cow and he, she gets killed with a bit off the broken mirror. There's quite a good bit where she gets malkied right off the mirror and then Jason takes a big shard and kills her. Again, you don't really see the kill, so I think this film, maybe not quite as badly as the last one, but it suffers yeah, think, again think, from fairly severe editing when it comes to the kills. I think um, in the case of this one, I think maybe they've went in consciously trying to film it slightly different. So it didn't get the, chopped to bits. Yeah, yeah. I, would agree, I could see what you mean there. But yeah. by, by, by this point, by 89, horror movies knew there was going to be a ton of stuff getting cut out. So I think they tried to avoid it do things much, yeah, yeah, in a more inventive way to get get, get as much through it to the finished prod, uh, yeah. product. Yeah, I think I would agree with that. It's, it's not as, like I said in the last one, the last one almost stopped making sense at points the way it had been cut together, do you know what I mean? This one's not like that, but you don't get any kind of Kevin Bacon scenes or anything like that anymore, which is quite sad. Um, back on board, alright, Jason then sets about taking out the crew at this point, so he kills the first mate guy with a harpoon, and then he goes after the weird admiral guy, who he kills with what can only be described as a fairly minor paper cut to the throat. It, this goes down as one of the worst kills it's really bad. <laughs> They'd have been better, you know, like not actually filming the the the, the knife motion kind of thing, because you do see it and you can see that it barely even touches them. And then this tiny little bit of head appears in his neck is shite. Um, Sean then finds his dead father propped up at the ship's wheel and appears ma- mildly shocked. Um, he tries to make an emergency announcement on the ship's PA. Tries to contact the Coast Guard, but Jason turns out has a fairly extensive knowledge of maritime communication systems. <laughs> takes out the radio transmitter. Um, Headmaster's losing the plot a wee bit at this point. Rennie drops the anchor in the ship. So while she may not have Jason's knowledge of communication arrays uh, on shipboard uh, setups, she does know how to work the anchor, etc. on these massive fucking ships. It's just it's redonkulous. Um, the prom queen's pal finds the prom queen's dead body and then Jason chases her and she gets killed in the discotheque. Um, which is quite good because she basically spins, right? She's in the dance floor so she's got full 360 vision and she must turn around about eight or nine times and still manages to, to miss Jason approaching her. Yep. Which is pretty special. Maybe she was just confused by the disco ball going off in her eye. <laughs> Anyway, um, some of the kids, they all get tooled up and go looking for Jason, including the AV geek, who, let's be honest, would be hiding in a cupboard drenching his own shit by this point. But um, He goes looking for him with a gun and, of course, the video camera, you know, because it's his thing. Um, he loses his glasses, doesn't, still doesn't put the video camera in, but he's lost his glasses and accidentally shoots one of the crewmen. Seems fairly unbothered by the fact that he's just murdered somebody. Um, yep. But... Not to worry, because Jason gets him at this point anyway. Um, and Jason goes after him, he runs off, he finds Jones Jet, Joan Jett's body lying there, and then Jason throws him into a big kind of electrical array thing and he gets electrocuted. This sets off fire alarms. Uh, fucking hell, God, I can't be more going through this. See, if, if there are gaping holes in my notes here, by the way, it's because I, I struggled to retain interest in this film to the point when I actually rewatched it again, before recording, I started fucking about with my guitar halfway through it. That's how bored I was by this film. It just it doesn't keep my attention at all. Um, 
yeah, there's a fire alarm going off. Uh, one of the kids gets thrown off the top of the mast. The 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 black boxing guy, uh, Julius, I think his name is or something like that. He gets launched over. But basically, Jason just goes all at him and throws him right off the boat, kind of thing, into the water, presumably to drown. Um, Rennie has another of these visions of the weird, wee deformed looking kid. Um, Jason then headbutts her portal and comes through to try and get her, kind of thing. Um, and she fights him off with Stephen King's fountain pen. <laughs> Which is the, my favourite thing I get to see in this, basically. Um, the ship's now starting to flood, right? So it's all going a little bit Poseidon adventure at this point, right? There's kind of water trickling down the stairs. Like a really shite second half of Titanic now. Um, <laughs> the crazy deckhand turns up, but he's got an axe stuck in his back, so he's basically dead. And they start to evacuate into a lifeboat. And there's actually very few al- left alive at this point, which I hadn't realised. So there was yeah. obviously only like 12 folk in this seniors class. Yes, because yeah. it's, well, Crystal, Crystal Lake's a small place. But yeah, so. that's true. But but obviously enough money in the school budget to pay for a, a, cruise. a, boat, yeah. a cruise ship to take them to New York. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, so yes, yeah, so we've got the two teachers, the head teacher, the women teacher, Sean and Rennie, and the dog. Obviously the dog's going to survive. And then the wee black boxing guy pops up out of the water, so he's been treading water for a wee bit and he's okay, so he gets in as well. So they're now basically adrift in a rowing boat. At this point, this film seems to stop making any attempt at sense. It wasn't doing too well up to this point, it's got to be said, but it goes batshit crazy after this, I've got to say. And not in a cool, fun way. Do you know yeah. what I mean? It's just, they basically row to New York with... Really no navigation equipment. Young Sean appears to have some little electronic device that he beep boops into. It doesn't really do anything. He doesn't have any answers. It's dark. It's foggy. And the guy that's steering it at the rudder is sleeping. Yes. Yet they still manage to nail New York Harbour. It's it's quite something to see. (laughs) Um, This is only eclipsed by the fact that Jason has managed to follow them there swimming. Uh, which is really impressive that nobody's seen him, that he was following them swimming. Um, he gets out the water as well at the pier where they'd get out and he sees a hockey mask advert. Well, you know, an advert for a hockey game, basically, and it's a face with a hockey mask on, like his, and he looks at it kind of quizzically, and at this point I'm thinking, right, if he ends up in the middle of a hockey game at Madison <laughs> or something, I'm going to spew my ring. Thankfully, he doesn't. It was clearly done as kind of offbeat, tongue-in-cheek humour. Failed on every level. Um, the survivors then get mugged. The two weird kind of fucking just odd looking street all of the wee hard kids in any of these films are just ridiculous looking like the, the biker gang for part 3 and all that it's, it's just nuts um, these two guys decide to mug them then they take young Rennie off for a wee bit of raping um, and to facilitate this they, they pump her full of the old heroin so she's basically off her box on H at this point um, Jason however then turns up before they can do anything to the poor girl Jason turns up, kills one of them with a hypodermic needle and then the other one I can't even mind how he kills the other one 
Rennie, despite having taken heroin for the very first time, manages to get up and run like the blazes at this point. Um, the wee boxer guy, he then tries to phone... I think he phones the cops and they one of them turns up. No, he phones the cop and then... Ah, yeah, that's right, sorry. He, he tries to phone the cop and then Jason comes after him and there's this prolonged rooftop boxing scene. Oh my god, yes. Um, Where he's boxing Jason and appears to be beating Jason until Jason decides he's going to throw a punch which decapitates the boy. (laughs) (laughs) What was it my wife said? My wife caught this on my second watch and I can't, she she made some ridiculous kind of exclamation when she just seen the head pop off. It's not a great kill. Rennie, she's still running about, obviously stoned as fuck. <laughs> she's getting a full of heroin. Uh, she finds Sean. The teachers have found the cop. Now, this is the bit I was coming to, right? <laughs> it's, uh, it's just a poor Irish beat cop. Um, it's literally the worst Irish cop since Sean Connor in The Untouchables. It's, it's, it's horrific. It's horrific. I, 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 just want, I just wanted to find out something here. You're not criticising Sean Connery's performance though, in The Untouchables. I, I criticise Connery's accent and untou- I love the Untouchables and I love Connery and the Untouchables. Right. Why they had to make him an Irish beat cop? Yeah. But why wasn't he just a Scottish fucking beat cop? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, I agree with that. I'm I'd, just right, a yeah, yeah. Irish it, beat cop from Edinburgh. Yeah. <laughs> why, why fucking make him that? Right, I know obviously a lot of police were supposed to be of Irish descent in New York and all that. Fair play, but for fuck's sake, it's Sean Connery. Just make him Scottish. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I just wanted, in the grand scheme of things, his his Irish accent, which is basically his accent, is slightly more believable than his Russian accent in The Hunt for Red October. Never. Seen. Or his Egyptian Egyptian accent in Highlander. Oh, I've seen that, I'll give you that. Yeah, his Egyptian <laughs> was slightly lacking. Considering he was Spanish by way of Egypt as well. Do you know That's right, I mean? Spanish by way of Egypt. And, uh, and Team Bandits. And Team Bandits where he is, uh, he, he plays Alexander the Great with a Scottish accent. <laughs> He's like, hello there, little boy. <laughs> you you time travel, do you? I don't know what that means. I'm Alexander the Great. <laughs> Thankfully, the shite Irish cop gets killed by Jason fairly quickly. <laughs> And then they'd have written here, then the Scooby gang bug out in the cop car. <laughs> Driven by Rennie, who's full of rage. Um, yeah, there, there's, what I actually noticed in second viewing as well, they're scrambling to get out the car initially before the chronically stoned Rennie jumps in the front seat and puts her foot down. But if you actually watch it, as they're scrambling frantically to get out before the psychotic zombie killer gets to them... <laughs> The, the headmaster guy who's in the middle in the back seat just has this look of, oh, will you just hurry up and get out of the car? That way you're pissed <laughs> off and your wife's dicking about and you're trying to get out of the car. Do you know what I mean? That's how he's looking. There's no fear. There's just mild irritation. Anyway, so she writes a fucking junkie. Rennie is driving. She knocks over Jason. Then she has a vision of the wee kid who's even more Jason-like now in terms of his deformity. And she crashes the car. Female teacher gets killed in the explosion, um, and she Rennie then has another vision, right? And it's in the puddle of burning petrol in the thing, which then turns into Crystal Lake, and it's her and creepy Uncle Charles in her own boat when she's about five, and he's telling her she needs to learn to swim or she'll drown, or she'll drown like this Voorhees boy did. 
obviously talking about Jason, saying, you know, he, like, he's still down there and he pulls people down that can't swim and all this kind of thing. And then he basically just pushes this five-year-old child overboard. Again, right, no wonder the lassie freaked out when the prom queen pushed her off the ferry. People keep just trying to drown this girl. And it's slightly unfair. But I'm an uncle, man. I particularly like my niece, to be quite honest. But I wouldn't push her out a rowing boat, do you know what I mean? It's just ridiculous. It brought to mind um, my uncle Archie went to join the Navy in the, in the 60s in, in Britain, uh, unable to swim. And he was 15 at the time. My grandfather had to sign forums to let him get released. Uh, and when they found out he couldn't swim, they basically pushed him into this like 12 foot swimming pool. And the instructors walked about with poles pushing him away from the side. Fucking hell. That was how they taught him to swim. And this is the guy that my mother handed me over to learn to swim because my mum can't swim. Just hurry up, swim, you wee poof. That was the kind of stuff I used to get. Anyway, right. But I, I went five years old and I wasn't pushed out a rowing boat in the middle of a lake. Right, which is apparently what caring Uncle Charles did to poor Irene when she was a kid. So she's having this flashback and you see her getting pulled in and here we see this wee deformed looking kid under the water pulling at her. I don't know if this was a dream or a metaphor or if actually we creepy Jason lived underwater for like seven years of his life. I don't know. I don't even care. If you have a theory on it, Duncan, keep it to yourself. I'm not interested. <laughs> not in this one, I'm not. Anyway, so she then snaps out her heroin-induced vision. Um, I fucking right, I can't even talk about it anywhere. Um, Jason comes in, kills the head teacher. I can't even remember how he kills him. Can you? How does he kill the head teacher? Oh, throws him out a window and then drowns him in a bucket of green slime. It must have been That's left right, over from like, the MTV Teen Awards or something. Yeah, was he, it the Teen he, Choice he Awards when they slimed them all? Yeah, he, he gets the he gets the slime. Yeah. I'm assuming it's supposed to be some sort of toxic waste because there's just drums of that line about New York in the. 80s. Oh wait! Don't steal my thunder! I'm coming to that. All right. <laughs> don't think I missed that one. Um, so basically, it's Sean and Rennie left. Rennie's kind of coming out of buzz. Sean's a bit stressed, obviously. Um, they get chased on a subway train. I actually quite like the subway train. Um. But it's clearly, there's definitely a little bit of a shite metaphor in there about the kind of unfriendliness of the big city. Maybe New York specifically, maybe just big cities in general, where they're basically screaming for help as this psychotic zombie killer stalks them down a train carriage and nobody pays any attention to them. Um, there's also quite a good bit where Jason pushes a woman into a pole. I don't think she meant to go into that pole, but the actress hit it on the way down. It looked like a hurt like fuck. Quite like that bit as well. Um, yeah. The in order to because obviously they're trapped on this thing they get to the end of the train the train's still going they can't go off Jason's just about getting there Sean pulls the emergency brake at this point Jason defies the laws of physics and instead of flying forward as he would when this thing breaks actually flies back the way so I'm quite surprised that the forces that he was working against didn't just crush him to a pulp anyway um, the scientist in me got my goat up at this point <laughs> And the two of them get out and get into the subway. Uh, I they can manage to get out of the subway system. Jason's following them. They end up in a fucking diner thing. Big massive chef gets a kicking off of Jason. Um, they end up back in the sewer, basically, where they run into a sewer worker who tells them, rather surprisingly, that this sewer floods every night at midnight with toxic waste. 
Yes. The sewer directly under Manhattan every night fills with toxic waste, which apparently acts like acid on skin. And these guys are working down there. <laughs> it's just, it's fucking ridiculous, man. Honestly. Anyway, uh, Jason kills the sewer worker, which is probably before he get killed by the waste kind of thing. Um, he then tries to kill Sean, but Renny manages to stop him by shining a torch at him. Don't know how that happened, but she did. She then finds a handy tub of the toxic waste, which she throws in Jason's face, which turns him into the singer for Slipknot, which I wasn't expecting, I've got to say, and I thought it was quite a nice twist. <laughs> Jason pulls his mask off and we get this really bad kind of Indiana Jones face melting scene. Uh, oh, and Jason screams like an elephant as well. It must affect his vocal cords quite badly because he then starts talking like an elephant. Despite not having said a word in all previous eight films, uh-huh. all previous seven films rather, he, he now just developed the ability to speak to elephants. Um, <laughs> and then he looks like the guy with a slipknot. They try to escape up the ladder. Jason catches them. There's literally bits of his face falling off at this point. And they then get swept away in the toxic flood which arrived like clockwork. <laughs> um, he kind of jumps up one last time, sinks beneath the surface. Um, and then we see this, uh, as, as the this toxic tsunami fucking recedes, we see this little normal-looking hand, and then we see a little boy who's all normal-looking, yeah. lying there in his pants at the side, <laughs> and the mask kind of floats away. Nobody bothers to go and get the wee kid. They just get up out the sewer and the dug appears and then it goes into credits. It, it's, I think I said in this, the ending in this makes all the other endings put together look like Citizen Kane, honestly. <laughs> it's unbelievable. <laughs> um, the My little notes at the very end, my opinion, I put here, I must have been in a good mood the first time I watched it, I put here just too far out there. Some of the concepts were just too much. Trying too hard to come up with something new. Why? You know what I mean? Folk have already watched seven of these. They're going to watch the eighth one. Do you know what I mean? You didn't need to go to Manhattan or whatever seedy part of Lower East Side which is actually filmed in. It's filmed in Canada. The majority of it is filmed in Canada. Oh, is it? They didn't even, yeah, they didn't even, they didn't even shoot it. Obviously, when Jason appears in Times Square, yeah, that's that's obviously that's New York. There's no, there's no getting around that. Everything else, that's not New York. That's Canada. Yeah. So, yeah, and, and yeah, no. Finish what you're going to say, and then I'll, I'll chip in. Well, that was that really. It just and I've written at the very end. The ending was fucking nuts. Um... I think, fucking, I don't know. See, all the uh, I, the other films, yeah, I, I enjoyed quite a few, but I've enjoyed most of them. Let's be honest, yeah, I've yeah. enjoyed most of them. I don't love these films. Do you know what I mean? I mean, I'm seeing uh-huh. them kind of thirty years after most folk did, um, but there's normally just something quaint enough, or kind of quirky, or funny enough that just kind of endears me a wee bit to them. Do you know what I mean? Maybe not to the extent of a lot of other people. I don't have the nostalgia thing. But there's normally something in each one of them that will endear me. I didn't find that in this film. I, I found most of it annoyed me. 
Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Why take him out of Crystal Lake? Like I say, you've done seven films set there. People are obviously willing to watch films basically about the same thing in the same place. You didn't need to take him out. out. It's, it's just ridiculous. The, and the problem is, I mean, most of it's set on the boat. So why, you know, it should have been Jason takes a cruise ship. Yep. Kind of ends up in Toronto or wherever the fuck he was. Do you know what I mean? Um, yeah, I just, and the ending, it's like, what the fuck does that mean now? I know the endings are all a wee bit bonkers. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And you've got theories about them and I had theories about them or I didn't understand them or whatever. Uh, this is like, oh God, what's this now? Did that melt them away and left the little innocent boy? I don't even care. It was just stupid. And if there was a wee boy lying there, surely they would have gone to check him out. You alright, son? Yeah. Can we take you anywhere? Do you know what I mean? Maybe find you a bin bag to wear or something because you're lying about in the middle of New York at night in your underwear. Do you know what I mean? You're asking to get raped, son. Come on now. Eh... Uh, yeah, this film's awful. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't, I, I've told you, this one, to me, every single time, just beats you. And it's a mission. Yep. I, I, I hate the end of this movie because, one, you know, we're talking about nonsensical endings. This is the, 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 the furthest... Um, nonsensical ending every, every single oh, movie no, this, is no movie. this is paid up yeah. I mean you, you've still got a couple to go yeah. and even even the next one which will push your limits um, to new levels of I have no idea what's going on is more enjoyable than this movie I've got a lot of time for, for part 9 a lot of folk hate that one as much as they hate part 8 so I'll be interested to see what you make of it Um it's just, it's just, as depressingly bad. Like, uh, in a series of movies, which are, they're not great. I'm, I'm the first one to admit it. Enjoyable, yes. Great pieces of cinema, no. Some of them are. Some of them are stand out. The majority of them are camp. You know, I camp used in the the sense of being camp as opposed to setting a camp. Ah. Um, Fun, you know what I mean? They're, they're nonsensical fun, and that's what that's the entertaining fact about it. Yeah, you get usually the occasional shots on tits, and you get some quite inventive kills in it, a bit of gore if you're lucky, and that's what sells these movies. That's all a, all a fan of the, these franchises really wants to see Jason just stalking, fucking killing them. And this, it's, I mean, what. Even even Kane Hodder's performance in this one, and I, I'm going to kind of like steal um, some of the complaints that um, our friend Jamie Jenkins uses about this movie. He's not menacing at all. There's a lot of them peering round doors and kind of turning. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like Jason doesn't do that. Jason fucking smashes through a door and gets his prey. There's a lot of Jason kind of being. Oh, I'm in the background. Uh, you know, I, I the thought the headbutt in the porthole thing was ludicrous. And I was just, just crap. Uh, Do you know what I mean? Just, just yeah. I, I don't know what I don't know what was going on here. Um, yeah, I, I, I don't like this one. This is the one that I. This is remember when I was telling you I go through them all. Yeah. On Friday thirteenth and all the rest. And the street Friday thirteenth this year. Um, and I'm, my intention is to have been go back through the entire franchise again and watching all the other ones. Eight's the one I always don't go back to unless I have to. Mm, it's the first mm. time I've watched eight in years. All right. Shit. Yeah. I, I, hate, yeah. I hate it. It's depressing. It's the only one that I actively avoid um, out with the, the remake, which we'll eventually get onto. But anything else you want to say about this movie before I grade you? No. <laughs> <laughs> no, there is not. 
Oh, shit. I, I appreciate your honesty. <laughs> uh, yeah, so, um, yeah, Baz, I think you've, I think you nailed this one again. I think it's another A+. Plus. I think you've, I think you have this franchise's number. Yeah, um, I think, I think I do. Yeah. yeah. And I, 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 while I don't know what comes next, I do see what you mean that part eight here was a kind of natural finish, if you like. Yeah, it, it closes it off. Yeah. It, technically, technically nine is, I mean, the, the next one's dubbed Jason Goes to Hell, mm-hmm. right? So really that was the end, like part nine. But to me, nine is so different from everything else. Nine is completely different from anything you've seen before. Yeah. Just putting that out there right now. I mean, it, you will not see another Friday the 13th movie, which is like part nine. Mm-hmm. And that, for some people, is the reason they don't like it. To me, it's one of the reasons I really like it. Um, part ten is everything you... Everything you can't wait to see in a Jason movie, it hits when Jason reaches space. Mm-hmm. It is so fucking ludicrous and so much fun. And then the remake is what it is. And we'll, we'll hear what you, you think of them when you get on the, get to them on the next Baz V Horror, yeah. where we'll do the final three and close out uh, your first full franchise, man. That's, that, that, that's what I was going to say. The, the, the one I'm most looking forward to now is actually the remake, bizarrely, um, because... I would have loved to have seen what they could do with these films with modern technology. Do you know what I mean? Modern yeah. acting and stuff like that. Um, and I'm not as attached to these films as a lot of our listeners and yourself are. Yeah. So I, I may not have that level of revulsion at a remake kind of thing. Do you know what I mean? So I'm actually quite excited to watch the remake, believe it or not. Yeah, you that that'll be knocked at you pretty quick. Ah. Um, so, <laughs> so yeah, we're going to take our final break. When we return, we're going to be closing out this epic odyssey through the four in the Friday the 13th um, franchise parts five six seven and eight going to close up the show right after this almost midnight enough time for one more story warning the midnight horror show is not safe for work and is definitely not for the faint of heart the following is a small sample of what you'll hear live every Wednesday night at seven at allradiox.com I heard from you shitheads for fucking years now, Webula, we do this thing that's called a live radio show on the internet. And so there's people that interact with us. Yeah, they're listening and responding to us right now in real time. Who, who, who's talking shit? <laughs> fuck, Somebody's talking shit? Someone named Fuckface. And so then, fuck you, Fuckface. <laughs> oh, you think we'll go off on tangents? <laughs> on the Midnight Horror <laughs> Have show? you ever listened to this show before, Mark? He was masturbating into the, the corpse of a fucking beheaded fish. Fucking uh, nasty motherfucker. <laughs> We're going to end the show on corpse fucking this time, apparently. Anytime you talk about necophilia, you're talking, it's going to take a certain kind of person to watch it. Yes, yeah, it's, it's a charmed life. <laughs> Fuck you. You can hear the Midnight Horror Show live at 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time every Wednesday night at allradiox.com or download the show on iTunes, Podomatic, or at the allradiox.com page. You're listening to the podcast Under the Stairs. And welcome back. So you have been listening to the podcast Under the Stairs at Baz V Horror. Um, Baz has tackled four Friday the 13th movies on this show. Dear God, sir, I don't know how you have the energy. Um, I, I am spent, mate. I'm not going to lie. I'm, actually, I'm completely naked and there is steam rising from my naked, hairless body. I am utterly spent. <laughs> yeah, so uh, we did movie reviews of Friday the 13th, part 5, 6, 
7 and 8, which means there is only one more Baz V Horror left to conclude this uh, retrospective look into the Friday the 13th franchise, which will be part 9, which is Jason Goes to Hell, Jason X, which is the 10th in the, uh, in the franchise, and then the remake, uh, Friday the 13th. Oh my god. Um, so, Baz, uh, I mean, it has been a, a podcast of highs and lows. Um, <laughs> yep. You've enjoyed some of these movies, you've not really enjoyed other ones. There have been highlights for you, Demon's Van. Remember Demon's Van? Oh, Demon's Van. Demon just himself was the highlight. Demon was awesome, man. Yeah, we gotta love Demon um, and his, his epic toilet death. I've said it before, I will say it again. The Oscars should put in a special award for best death on a toilet and retrospectively, <laughs> it should be handed to Demon. <laughs> I wouldn't argue with you, mate. Yeah, d- definitely. Um, so, uh, what 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 do we have coming up? Uh, well, we're going to take a, a, a slight break on the for a couple of weeks, um, compose ourselves back up, and then we will be returning on Basby Horror anyway to do the last three that I mentioned. Yeah. Um, we are obviously we've delayed off the Evil Dead um, kind of end of term assessment just due to the fact that I think both of us were quite keen just to get rid of this franchise. Yeah. Yeah, so um, so that'll be coming back, and I have a surprise for Easter, which I've got in the pipeline. Um, I am tempted. I am so so tempted, and I really want to do it, and I think I am going to do it. I'm going to set up another Bazzi's commentary. Um, <laughs> get 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 Buchanan back on. Did anybody uh, listen to the last one? <laughs> uh, yes, yes, oh, I think they God. did. Uh, but I think um, I'm going to fuck with you, Buzz. I'm going to fuck with you something horrible, and I think what we're going to do is the ABCs of death. Which is basically 26 short movies back to back. All of, and, and the first one, I'm not a, a big fan of the first one. I like maybe less than a quarter of the, the shorts on it. Some of them are quite interesting. I mean, I love less than quarter. I like maybe about a quarter and half of it I don't like at all. So, yeah, you, you will be tested, sir. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I don't think I've actually ever watched one of these films. It's a kind of collection of shorts. Mm-hmm. I don't think I've ever seen any kind of film like that. Yep. so that might be quite interesting yeah I can't wait to, to do that so that's what I'm putting forward just because I want to hear your disbelief your torment your misery and your what the fuckery on that show um, yeah so that'll be coming up and then we will finally start battering into some of the, the combinations that we put out there uh, we have um, obviously we still to watch and I might put this out not necessarily as a Baz Horror but as a bonus episode Um out there the the review of Rosemary's Baby which uh, our good friend uh, Andy Blockley won God, many yeah, I forgot ago. all about that yeah so we'll need to cover that um, and then we have a, a, a kind of an easy one for you some religious horror um, and an episode coming up nice. as well which I'm looking forward to so plenty of stuff coming up for the show um, also Baz uh, yep. we dropped the news last week uh, Yourself and myself immortalised in poster form. Indeed. Um, which, uh, which hopefully will be coming uh, to a to a podcast under the stairs Facebook page for purchase um, towards the end of April. So, uh, are you excited about that? I sure am. I sure am. Um, it'll be nice for the listeners to know that um, I'll be watching them while they sleep, <laughs> kind of like I do with you, Dunk, <laughs> but in more two D form. 
Yeah, I keep meaning to switch that webcam off, but uh, <laughs> I, I don't know. Part part of me part of me likes it. Um, so yeah, so uh, with that in mind, uh, I will just announce that the next podcast under the stairs episode um, is a pretty cool one. I was joined by my good buddy Mark Ball from the Midnight Horror Show, uh, and we uh, covered in that one um, two werewolf movies from last year. So we're doing reviews of Where. Um, and late phases so quite looking forward to to that conversation and that show as well that one will also feature a very special interview that I conducted with uh, Matt Palmer who is the guy behind uh, All Night Horror Madness it's a movie uh, festival that runs uh, twice yearly in Edinburgh and Glasgow and it's like it sims it's one of those all-nighters where he pulls in 35mm prints of some old classic horror movies and people basically get their arse wedged in a chair from 11 o'clock p.m. to 8 a.m. It's a, it's a slog, um, but that was a great interview, so that one will be appearing on that show as well. So, uh, some final details before we go. Remember, you can check out the podcast Under the Stairs on iTunes. If you are listening to us iTunes, give us a wee review over there. Five stars, if you would please. Um, every little helps. We've had a couple of new ones recently, which has been pretty cool. Uh, Chuck um, gave us a nice five star review there as did Lisa um, both fairly new listeners to the show but um, have become really active in the Facebook page, I appreciate that you can listen to us on Stitcher Smart Radio uh, you can check us out through Legion Podcast Network where the show uh, is proudly a member of that you can also check us out on SoundCloud on our webpage which is podcastunderthestairs.wordpress.com and on Twitter at tputzcast and how could I forget this? If you want to hear Baz on this show more, discussing your problems, answering your questions, giving you just general Baz advice, uh, that was Baz advice, not bad advice, but you can put into that what you want. Um, you can see, you can send us an email uh, to podcastunderthestairs at gmail.com and put in the header Baz's Basement. I'll let you know, Baz, we've already got one in for the next show. So, uh, oh yeah. It's a continuation of what I like to now call the the Shipley-Blockley saga. It really is. A saga is, too, is not strong enough a word, Duncan. And I just want to say that I have read this email and um, it appears that your your suggestions may be actually getting used in practice. There was mentioned of a horsetail butt plug. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> Good uh, times. <laughs> Good times indeed. Um, so, yeah, uh, it has been an absolute pleasure speaking to you, my friend. Um, Always... Yes, I dare say we'll be speaking to you real soon. Uh, would you like to say goodbye to the listeners, please? Certainly will. Uh, just as usual, folks, uh, Baz V Horror will be letting you know when we're watching the films, get involved with the Twitter. Thanks to Jerry Esposito, a couple other guys as well that have been chipping in while I've been tweeting on the movies. It's always appreciated. Um, and just thanks for listening, folks, and I will see you all soon. Yep, and... Uh, I just want to say, uh, just make sure that you you keep checking out the shows. Thank you very much for the support. The Carpenter Roundtable has been one of the most downloaded episodes of the podcast under the stairs ever, um, and the feedback has been incredibly positive about it. You guys are awesome. Um, we love you long time, as they say. Um, <laughs> I don't know who says that. I'm saying it now, though. That may be what the T-shirt says, Baz. <laughs> Baz, oh, I Baz, think we can come up with worse than that. <laughs> oh, oh, sexy bitches, we love you long time. Um, 
It's a potential idea. We'll just put it out there. We'll see if there's any traction for it. Um, the last thing I'll mention before we, we go is also that there has been running a poll on the Facebook page. Um, it may be finished by the time this one lands, but there'll be another poll running right after it to uh, pick the topics for the next roundtable. So make sure you're checking the Facebook page, go over to Facebook and type in the top search bar podcast under the stairs, come across to the group and get involved with the conversation. Thank you again for checking this show out. Um, Take care of yourselves wherever you are out there. We will speak to you sooner than you think. This is Duncan McLeish broadcasting live from the void. Bye everyone. Yo, it's your baby.